Fill her up. You're listening to the Gas Digital Network. What up, what up, what up, podcast party people? How you doing? How you living? How you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good myself. I got a good night's sleep. I got some pussy last night. Yesterday afternoon, a little afternoon delight from the wife. Yes, we had some... We had some loving in the afternoon. Made me feel all good. Now I'm relaxed, chill. That's right. That's all it takes. A little bit of Monday afternoon loving. I uh, I tell you what, the feedback I got from the Billy Grazia Day. Billy Grazia Day podcast. Oh my God. I haven't had that many texts and WhatsApps and emails in a long time. People were like, oh my God, that was some of the fucking craziest shit I've ever heard. Yeah, people were tripping balls. So many crazy stories. And uh, the shit story and the fucking Wadi story. Oh my God, the fucking. Wadi, you know, with the cattle prod, fucking the driver of the van and the fucking, the fucking too legit, too legit to quit. <laughs> oh my God. So many fucking funny stories on that. I got to say it was really, it was one of my favorite. Many people say it was their favorite episode they've done and, uh, or they've heard. And, uh, I got to say, I might agree with them. It was just good catching up with him. And, you know, I got to say, um, one of the things that was the coolest thing talking about him or talking to him, not about him, but talking to him was that, uh, you know, like most of the time when people got come on to the show, it's like they've got, they're promoting something, you know, that's kind of the reason, you know, like that's what press is right like it's like you're promoting something so you're out there kind of go oh i got a new record or i got a new book or i got a new this or that and uh it's pretty rare that i have somebody on who's not got something that they're you know promoting and so you know most of you may not know this but like you know for the most part like everybody everybody does the same thing you know and i mean like like I get it. Like, you know, it's like you project success. Like we're doing great. Like we've always done great. Yeah, we're doing great. You know, new books. Great. Like everything's great. And, uh, and I get it. Like I go along with it it's like, that's the game. But, uh, you know, it's pretty rare when you get to talk to a band where, you know, they're broken up and they're not around anymore. And, you know, like you're talking about biohazard stuff and it's like, yeah, like, cause biohazard was fucking huge, man. Like, I don't know if anybody could understand, like if you weren't there at that time, like they were just massive and they've been kind of forgotten by the press and, 
you know, like from video views or streams, you'd never know it. Like, but they were huge, man. Like it was, they were inescapable. And, uh, you know, to hear him talking about, you know, with a lot of like brutal honesty, you know, where they went wrong and where things fell apart and, you know, there's no happy ending and, you know, maybe there will be a happy ending. I hope for them that there's a happy ending. I think that, you know, he kind of alluded to the fact that him and Evan have been talking and, uh, and that's really cool. You know, maybe there'd be a reunion who knows that would be rad. But, uh, you know, at this particular moment, which is one of the things that's great about doing this podcast is that you're kind of capturing somebody in this moment and that moment could be good or that moment could be bad, whatever it is, it is what it is. And, uh, I was just really, it's just really fascinating to hear that kind of stuff. And I love hearing that kind of stuff. Cause I'm, you know, I'm always, you know, interested in how bands navigate stuff or how you, you know, survive a certain thing or whatever. And, and, uh, or if you don't and, you know, like you just kind of fade away and, uh, you know, I had like, I've had the opportunity to talk to a couple, you know, when I had Jerry, Jerry a from poison idea on here, you know, poison idea is broken up. He's like, we're done. Like, that's it. We broke up. <laughs> so, you know, so it's just like, kind of like talking about the past and, and, uh, oh, it was just, it was just a fantastic interview and fuck. He is funny, man. God, like so many crazy stories. <laughs> like it was just so many stories, uh, like filled in a bunch of blanks, filled in a bunch of blanks for me in the biohazard story as a biohazard fan. It was great. You know, I mean, one of the things that I'm still like kind of blown away by is how like, you know, they had a really squeaky clean image, man. Like they were, uh, like if you would, if you, other than Bobby, like you would have never known that they partied, like you would have thought that they were all straight edge and, you know, to hear how much they were partying back then, you know, it was, I don't know. It was great. It was just kind of cool to hear all this stuff new and fresh and. Yeah, it's great. Go check it out. If you didn't, if you missed out on the Billy from Biohazard one, you got to check it out. It's such a fucking great episode. Um, the uh, I finished Game of Thrones with my son, the wife, and I. As I've been talking about for months now, we've been watching. This is the fourth time now watching Game of Thrones. And I still saw things that I did. I watched the last two episodes just on, over the weekend. And I still saw shit that I didn't see the first two times that I watched the fucking last episodes. So fucking hell, you know, it was cool. It was cool watching it again. In fact, my wife and I are going to watch it again. The last, the very last episode, cause she fell asleep when we were watching it. And, uh, God, that show's so good. It's so fucking good. And it was cool just to watch, you know, and I got to say it was, a, it was a trip to watch it. Um, a with my son who doesn't know anything about it other than what he's watching in front of him. You know, like when we were watching the game of Thrones finale at the end, it was like, you know, there was so much just, you know, the show's ending and everybody's on every fucking talk show. And then, you know, the fucking one, you know, the long nights, oh, it's too dark. I couldn't see anything. And everybody's fucking complaining. And then, and then the fucking last show, and oh, I didn't like the ending. And oh God, like fucking everybody's fucking complaining, you know, and it was, it was inescapable. And, uh, 
you know, and I think because it was ending, like everybody was like bombed out and, you know, to watch it now, it's been a few years. I can't, maybe four, three years, five years. I don't know. And, uh, to just watch it all out of that in one fell swoop, all of it, just binge on the whole thing, watching two or three at a time. And, uh, God, it is so well done. It's such a well done show. Like it is the ending's killer. The ending's great. You know, like, I guess you could have ended it a couple other ways, but the ending is fucking great. And, uh, you know, I think watching it away from all of the, you know, just fucking bullshit that was out there with everybody talking about it was, was nice. He didn't feel that way at all. He's like, oh, well, that was a good ending. (laughs) Yeah. None of the things. And it was just, it ended and it was just over. And, uh. Yeah, it's great. And so there's a new Game of Thrones coming out in August. I'm stoked about that. We may, uh, but right now we're doing, uh, we're going to definitely watch that. And then we're now, we just finished last night, we just finished the basketball, I forget what it's called, Lakers Showtime or Rise of a Dynasty or something like that. It's like, uh, it's got John C. Riley, and it's basically about the 1980s LA Lakers basketball team. And they're kind of like a funny, like, I think, um, what's the dude, that one, uh, comedian guy, uh, I can't remember his name. He was in pineapple express. He's been, I'm fucking brain farting on what his name is right now. Um, Jonah Hill, Jonah Hill. I just, I guess Jonah Hill's the producer and it's really well done. John C. Riley's awesome. Like it's great and it's sex and drugs and, you know, Lakers and just, it's fucking pretty funny and. And, uh, we just finished that and that was really good. You got to check that out. The guy who they got to play magic Johnson was just fucking perfect, man. And, uh, the best, smile. he's got the best smile I've ever, <laughs> ever seen. Like dude's just got the best fucking smile. And, uh, yeah, it's really, that's a really good show. When it was that last night was the season finale that, or I guess it was Sunday, but we watched it last night. It was last night. No, yes. Last night was Monday. Um, and then one of the jokes though, they were like all the fan, all of, all of magic Johnson's family sitting around the TV and they're like getting ready to watch the game. Like they're going to play magic as center. And they're like, Oh, he's going to, that's going to be a hard job, man. That motherfucker needs to get hard for this shit. He needs to be hard as nails for this. And one of the guys is just like, motherfucker, you hard. You wouldn't know hard if you were the only dick in a room full of pussy. <laughs> oh my God. I laughed so fucking hard at that joke dude i was like that i'm stealing that shit like i'm stealing that shit you wouldn't know hard if you're the only dick in a room full of pussy (laughs) uh too good too good uh i guess everybody was i guess a couple people were all upset about my monologue talking about abortion rights being stripped away from women in america Oh, well, that people were unhappy about that last week, but most weren't. Most were like, yeah, fuck them. Uh, let's see. We've got Craig or Boo, Craig or Boo, the Cicero, Craig, the Cicero, my old bandmate. First of all, let me show you this before I get into that. You know, we got a new record coming out called of kingdom and crown. I had these, we've got this. Ram skull thing. Check that out. I had this mask prototype made. 
Look at that shit. Yeah, it's like full mask on the inside. The horns are stuffed. I'm going to make this shit. Yeah, a latex mask. And I want to see motherfuckers. I want to see motherfuckers in the circle pit with this shit. We're going to sell it at the shows and just see motherfuckers like <sighs> fucking ram skulls, headbutting, fucking raging. Yeah, I put up a poll on uh, Instagram like, should we make it? Or you feel like buying it? They're they're kind of gonna they're a little expensive. They're not really expensive to make, but they're definitely expensive to ship. The shipping's pretty pricey because it's like pretty bulky, and then we've got to ship it probably in its own box because it's like not really. The horns are stuffed, so it's not like you can really, you know, you can't really, you know, fold it up in a bag or anything. Anyway. Uh, like I said, though, we have a new record called 10, <laughs> 10 ton. We have a new record called of kingdom and crown head over to 10 ton trading company.com. 10 ton trading co.com is what it is. And check out the vinyl, the box sets, the cassettes, the long, the long seat, long box CDs, the regular CDs, the digit packs. We got t-shirts. We got hoodies. Pretty soon we'll be having masks. You can pre-order. Got to do a photo shoot for it. Um, but yeah, all kinds of good stuff, man. Reaction for the new song has been phenomenal. We got a new song dropping in June. We got a making of video. Anyway, somewhere around here, my producer is going to put the link, 10tontradingco.com. Head over there and uh, check out some machine head shit. Check out some new machine head shit. Craigless Cicero. For all of you who don't know, whoa, what just happened here? Oh my God, my internet's, my internet's fucking up. Oh, come on, you bastard. Internet's been, the Wi-Fi has been wacky here, man. My studio, I share the studio with a bunch of people, but sometimes the internet's just crazy. All right, this is a song called Through Eyes of Glass off of the debut Forbidden album, Forbidden Evil. Number one song on Spotify. Blue Eyes of Glass. Yeah, this is a banger. This is one. This is their number one song right now. Fucking guitar tones ripping all these years later. Still so good. Long intro. Let's get to the chorus. Jesus. Long intro. always had a killer voice. He could always, he could go. Ah. 
This is step by step. Wait, what's the? Let me go to that record. I want to say the opening song on that record got some fucking jams. The Infinite. What song am I thinking of? This live was so good. this I was inspired to write the uh, the intro to the violence track I Profit it was good Some good shit I was like ooh that's heavy that's heavy man there's Forbidden Evil it's the most popular song after this record twisted into form this song's called Infinite. Let's get long intro. other bands um, this is man made god which most people might not this is uh he, he talks about like that this is uh the rick rubin produced record Totally different vibe. Went for like a rock and roll. I don't even know it. But you're too high, and I'm a little too low. Is this where I belong? Shed with the dogs. Where I run. total like Chris Cornell vibe. Passage through the other side We can't rely 
the two songs called Swamp Water. Craig is currently doing a band called Dress the Dead, as well as the bonus one. So Dress the Dead, this is a song called 1969. Chris Contos of Machine Head fame. They have a new song out right now called Back to the Grind. All right. This is Back to the Grind. Classic old punk band, the boneless one, been around for since the mid 80s. Classic skate punk band, legendary. Popular song in the Forbidden Catalog, song I wrote, Palace of Blood. Right here, back to the metal. Here we go, Russ. He can get way up there, man. Russ Anderson going for it. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, the mighty... Mighty Craig LaCicero, a.k.a. Craig or Boo. Craig LaCicero, Craig or Boo, how you doing, man? Doing all right, man. In a world gone mad, my life isn't uh, as bad as other people's. I can't really complain. been very busy. Right. You've been very busy. You just yeah, had your, uh, your Boneless Ones record release show at the Ivory Room. How was that? That was a lot of fun. I think... Uh, I, I think it's getting to the point with this band where we just go in there and then everyone just uh, 
expects to come in and have a really, really positive experience. So that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, there, there was a little bit of feeling out in the band for a while. Like, you know, what's this going to be all about? What's this going to be like? And a lot of people are like, why is Craig playing with the bonus ones? You know, there, there was a little of that, you know, my, my entire career has been full of like, people always surprised that I can do something extra, you know, like, uh, they, you get all this forbidden fans that really weren't aware of all the other things I did. And then, you know, it's just another dimension to what I do. Show went good though. Show went good. Show went really good. Yeah. Yeah. It was a blast. You got a new record coming out with them. You just dropped a bunch of songs with dress the dead. So talk, talk to me about the new, uh, the upcoming bonus ones record back to the grind, right? At the name of the record back to the grind of a little punny, punny pun. Um, you know, I mean, well, first of all, you know, I mean, people got to understand how this even came about. Um, I, I was seeing shit from the boneless ones. I mean, I saw the boneless ones play their last show at, back in uh, the late eighties or 87 or something at, at UC Berkeley on campus. Oh, sure. And I was standing there with, yeah, I was there. I was with Bailoff and Matt Camacho. We were all, and a few, there's a few other, but those are the guys I remember. Chris, and, was, um, Chris was in the band. Yeah, dude. There's a video of that show on on YouTube, and it's just fucking people just standing around with some guys on skateboards and kind of pushing each other. But it was I remember being completely amazed at how good the guitar player was, this guy Luke, and um, and I was like, wow, you know that dude's way too good for fucking punk rock, you know. But I mean, there's a history of good guitar players in punk rock, like Rob Power, Suicidal Tendencies, whatever. Right. So I was like. I was pretty blown away. I was like, what well, fuck, man? They they're really good. And then they fucking broke up like right afterwards. And I never heard from him again. I just see Chris Contos wearing bonus ones hats, escape for the devil for about two years before I even hear anything. And then he just calls me one day, you know, and uh, Chris is like, yeah, you know, uh, dude, uh, we're trying to write a record and, and our guitar player just isn't hitting all the marks on the old school shit, you know, like all the fucking thrash you know, they having the right hand. I'm like, okay, like I'm kind of busy, but really I wasn't because COVID, you know? So I, I just, I was going through a lot at the time. There's a lot of death and a lot of things going on around me. So I just said, uh, yeah, uh, I'll come meet you guys. Um, and I'll listen to the old record and I'll see what I think and I'll come meet you. So I went and listened to escape of the devil. And I immediately was like, fuck that guitar playing. It was, it, it, it's a great sounding record. I've had a playlist of punk shit and I added it to it. And I was like, when I work out, I listen to it and it sounded better than 90% of the shit that came on. There's something about that record. So I was like, I was kind of excited. I'm like, yeah, I could, I can probably see myself. So I met the guys and it went well. And that's the, really the short of how I even got in it. And it offered me an opportunity to play all that old school fucking influential shit for me, you know, that I loved, um, that people weren't really aware of how much MDC to SOD to fucking suicidal to GBH and discharge and everything that I listened to and raw power. And, you know, I can go on and on and on. And, you know, you were more of a punk dude. I thought at the time, like, but I loved fucking punk, but I was way more like metal, you know, but it just kind of happened. And then when we, I came in with two songs right off the bat and I was like, I had a song called heavy as a face, which we didn't have a name and another song called uh, blood on the streets. These are what they turned out to be. And they both fucking fit in like a glove. And then Max had lyrics. So these lyrics actually fit right here. You know, so it was one of those like may never happen like that again, but it happened. And it was like that from the front to the end of the record from when we wrote it 
you know, started writing to when we recorded it. That's rad. What, what happened to the old guitar player from the early days? He just moved on. Well, he moved on to another plane of existence, as, oh. you know, in the last few years. Uh, yeah, he, he ended up, uh, like a lot of people going down the bad road and, um, I don't know exactly. I, I can't speak of exactly how or why or what happened, but yeah, he's not around anymore. Oh, gotcha. And he wasn't around. I, I believe they had a falling out or he, you know, I mean, I'm assuming it was okay. drugs, you know, I'm assuming. Gotcha. So, gotcha. It happens. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it, happens. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. I'm lucky. I, I'm lucky. I launched myself out of that world. You know, that was a place. It was pretty fun watching you guys record it. You know, you guys were right down the hall here and, you know, I'd bop over and just kind of peek in. And it seems like I caught you guys every time you were jamming the same song. I think I heard you writing, working on this, the one time of day that you guys would be working on the song for some reason. I can't remember what song it was, but it was. Uh, uh, it it might have been back to the grind. We were doing a lot with, I think, well, I know I was, I might have been doing the solo when you walked through. Yeah, there's. It was it was an experience doing that record because. uh everything happened so fucking fast, dude. I mean, we, we came in one day and like I said, I had two songs kind of put together and they became songs and then we wrote another one. I mean, everything was like bang, bang, bang. And then when we got in with Zach, you know, we're talking about Zach Oren, who's, who's worked with you obviously and worked with me in other capacities. He wasn't even really aware of what it was going to be or what it was going to sound like himself. And so they, there's this kind of this eye opening thing like, are these guys going to be any good? Are they going to have their shit together? And then eventually it kind of reveals itself to, to somehow it fucking comes out great. And Oh shit, this is way better than anyone thought it was going to be, you know, including myself. I thought it was gonna be good, but once you put it down on, you know, you don't want to say tape, but once you, once you drop it to the ones and the zeros <laughs> and, and, you know, and I also said, I told him from the beginning, I'm all dude, please let's not do the bunch of fixes and fucking, you know, let's let's put this thing down as fast as possible. I mean, if something fucking sucks, we'll fix it. You know, if there's a blatant fuck up. Right. But I really wanted to lose. make sure that. We, yeah, I, I I think that's a trick that's incredibly hard to pull off these days uh, just because you know, technology at your fingertips is so easy to lean in. And we just, you know, I mean, both myself and Chris were, were very much like, let's just keep this as raw as possible and see if it retains that character. So that's what it did. You know, there's some scratches and, you know, like pushes and pulls shit. I like on guitar. And, uh, I left all that shit in there. Yeah. And Chris too, right? Like Chris was just kind of freestyling. Yeah. Oh, he was just fucking blazing, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Chris was blazing. Not playing to a track, but just like no clicks jamming. Yeah. You know, and I can't always suggest that that's the way to do things, but that's the way to do things. If you want to have an album that has, this kind of mojo. Right. I mean, you know, I, some bands, it doesn't work, you know, uh, and I completely get it, but I, I prefer to do things that way. And I always have, and it was, you know, anytime I don't do things that way, I'm a little bit dragged down. Um, I'm like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll do it the other way, you know, I'll be, I'll be anal, but, uh, you know, that really, for me never started until I think when I did the band may God record it was probably the first time that anyone said, okay, we're going to have to fucking do this quick. So I was like, ah, all right. I, you know, I learned how to do it. Tell me about, uh, 
you know, there's some cool songs on, on the upcoming record. You know, the one that probably sticks out the most lyric, I mean, just in general, like the songs are about skating and drinking beer, it seems like for the most part. And, uh, but the one that probably sticks out is the, is the crossover song, you know, like where you, you name check merciful fate and venom and Discharge. Yeah. like pretty cool. It's a pretty cool jam. Like, tell me about how that all came together. Well, that, that was another one. What's the, that song? What's the name of that song? Crossing Over the Bridge, which is the, I mean, come on. You know what I mean? Like, here we are in the Bay Area. Life has been crossover with all of our friends playing all these different bands, right? So everything we've ever done has been crossover. So, you know, me being in the band and, and Chris being a band, that's a crossover. Right. So we have this analogy of crossing over the bridge of the Bay Area, of every all, all of our fucking influences. So that's another one, man. I, 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 I popped off that song at home one day. Um, and I literally wrote pretty much all the riffs like right there. I had that little Chuck Berry riff in there in the middle of the thing and a little, little pinky riff and fucking, uh, and everyone's like, that's fucking killer. And then, uh, then the, I think Max just started doing the name drop thing and Chris is all, yeah, we got to add them and them and them. And then, then Troy did the same thing. And, and, uh, I think the end result of that song, people are going to be really, again, happy, uh, joyful, whatever, you know, um, there's a celebration on the whole record. And uh, that that one kind of exemplifies, if I could use a big word like that, our, you know, our, what's the word I'm looking for here? Our scenes glue, you know, that's everything that we've ever been through, Rob. And it's And it's a fun way to say it. It's not like getting all, there's not a whole lot of like on this album. It's, it's really heavy. I don't want to make it sound like it's just some jovial fucking party because there are some really heavy tracks. Uh, but that song's, yeah, it, it does name check fucking everything from Merciful Fate to, you know, SOD to Sacrilege, dude. We even oh, dropped yeah. Sacrilege. Right, right, right. You did drop a Sacrilege in there. Yeah. I said at the end of the, I said we have to put Sacrilege in at the end of the song. Like that's important because I, I think that they were one of the first uh, crossover leaning more towards metal bands. Totally. Right. Yep. Yeah. Strap in and Gary went and just totally. that, Shout out to that old, band. all those guys, you know, yeah. and, and they get left out. I, you know, when it comes to the, the Bay area fucking deal, shit, when it comes to the Bay area deal, they, those guys get left out a lot. I feel, uh, unjustly, yeah. you know, they were a very, very big part of it. For when they we were, were man. They were a big part of it. You know, they were fucking killing it for a while, man. Party with God and that album was sick. You put that on now, you're like, ooh. Yeah. You know, and that's what I mean. That retaining that is a hard thing to do now. You know, because those those guys probably did that record in two days or one day or something. Yes. You know, I mean we we did our record in in, in a a total of one, two, finish the drums, started recording guitars, finish guitars in two days, finish the vote. We did it in five days. Yeah. You know, and, and that was pretty quick. Cause it wasn't like full 12 hour days. You're working on Zach's schedule. I'll be there at, you know, one o'clock and we got to be done by seven. Right. So it's, not, it's like, it's not like, Oh fuck dude, We're going to be up like all night long. Ah. Yeah. I mean, that was fun too. Yeah. The, um, what, what, that was the first time that, that Max has really like recorded anything in a lot. I mean, this was like a 36 year hiatus or something, right? Like for the boneless ones. Yeah, he did a couple or, or of things. Just, or was it just an album hiatus, but they'd still like played shows and gotten back together? Well, Max would, was doing some music stuff on the side and, and did, did do stuff. But Troy had put his bass, that stick bass he plays, he had put that fucking thing in his closet for over 
30 years. Oh, wow. Holy shit. That's crazy. Yeah. I think, I think long when they, break, yeah, man. he did help a long time away from playing. Well, they did hell's kitchen together. Remember them? That was yes. hell's kitchen. Okay. So okay. that was a cool ass man too, but it didn't last long. Greatest name, you know, it was fucking perfect, but that was Chris and him doing that. And with Luke, with the guitar player. Okay. So there was a thing going on there, but then when Troy had moved into a so different career, was and, boneless ones without Max, basically. Right. Okay. Right. Right. But you know, the, the, Troy had moved on to a very interesting career editing movies and television shows um, down in Hollywood and in that area, and uh, he became wildly successful. As I find out more and more each day, how how really well he did. Yeah, you know. He's been involved in Oscars and stuff like that. And oh, had wow. sh- many, many shows nominated. And then it all parlays to this album. Um, when he, when one of his, one of the guys, because where he works is at a big building where people walk through and they do a lot of work and he'll listen to the record. He was listening to stuff. And this guy walked by and heard him playing Bones of Rock. And uh, <laughs> he guys like stops and just, I don't know if it's a cubicle. I'm just imagining like it's a cubicle or an office or whatever. What are you listening to? You know, it was, and it turns out that dude was uh, making a pilot in, for uh, HBO for this thing called Dead Boys Detectives. And so it's like, oh, well, we might be in this pilot, maybe to this Dead Boys Detectives thing on HBO, which is like, oh, that sounds exciting. It happened. Wow. We got it. Yeah, that's good. And we have the longest we have the longest clip in the entire pilot and the pilot got picked up. So it all this stuff, you know. And this is stuff to me that I just trip out on. I'm like, all my years of doing this, I've been so fucking loyal to certain things that I, shit hasn't always worked out. And here's this little punk band. I'm like, huh, wow, we're actually going to fucking be in a TV show. And yeah. people are definitely going to hear it. And they're, yeah, and yeah. it's definitely going to get Shazam. You know, like there's, there's a lot that could potentially spin that. Like, who to thunk, you know, when you don't really work, when you, I find that when you don't fucking work too hard or push too hard, I mean, working hard, you work fucking hard, which we'll get to that in a minute. I want to ask you about that. But we, I mean, when you don't try too hard, I should say, right. I feel like shit fucking falls in your lap a lot more if your, your intentions are good. Yeah. So that's, that's where I'm at now. I'm like, wow, this might actually be really fucking cool. You know, yeah. record drops uh, May 13th, Friday, the 13th, Friday, the 13th. Yeah, you know, fucking Max is on stage. You know, he's like, our record drops fr- Friday the 13th of May. He's like, I'm a little nervous about that. <laughs> like, uh, he was, he was, now he was amazing the other night. Yeah. He, yeah, we just, you know, superstition, but he was incredible at the show. I, I, I think he really figured out exactly where his space is like, in that moment. You know, it's like, he just was like, okay, this is it. You know, everyone's ready for the party. I'm, I'm just going to be that guy. So that was really cool to kind of witness that because, Obviously, there's a feeling out because we're getting back to your question. Max hadn't really done much live shit or anything. He's got a big merchandise company. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, his he sells a fucking. I mean, he makes merch for a lot of people. He just picked up Die Human or Humane, okay. Die Humane, Ricky and Old's band, and right on. And he's got a he, bunch he, of bands. He owns like a print shop or something. Yeah, out, out in Reno, he has a print shop, but he lives oh, okay. out in Grass Valley, so he goes back and forth. But he's got a bunch of employees. Uh, I've never been in a band. Uh, the per capita numbers for merchandise, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter if there's 50 people or fucking, uh, you know, a thousand people, we're selling a lot of fucking merch. And when we did the Exodus show, uh, we sold a lot of fucking merch. And I was like, I was, I was wearing this hat. And when I got off stage, I was walking around. It's like, I'm not alone. 
there's a lot of people right, right. wearing this hat all of a sudden. And yeah, we sold, you know, a, a really good amount per capita as always. That's and awesome. we did the other night as well. So that's kind of cool too. And you got like kind of a, kind of a classic logo and, you know, kind of a timeless look too. Well, the new logo is, is the one like, like, like wacky wafers, you know, the, remember the wacky wafer cards? No, what's we that? got a new logo. That's the green. Maybe you can see this or not. We got that thing. Oh, it was a little shiny. Okay, right, right, right. Yeah. But that, that logo is a, is, is a hot commodity now. Yeah. So yeah, the, everyone likes this one even better than the old one. It's really exciting. You know, cool. I mean, just little shit like that. Dude. Like I, I, I cannot emphasize enough how I didn't know what was going to happen or how, if it was going to stick the landing. And in fact, you couldn't say we stuck the landing because I think we're still up in the air and we don't know where it's going to fucking go. I guess I know and my expectations are really low. So anything's good. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm sure it's going to do fine. Your record drops May 13th, Friday the 13th. May 13th. Uh, you guys got pre-orders going right now, right? Yeah, we do. Okay. We do up on a, uh, what is that? I don't want to, not CD baby. What's the other one? Um, oh shit. Hold on. Well, one of my lights just died on me here. Um, what is it? Oh, God, I, I'm horrible with this. Uh, I'll, I'll find well, it. You we'll, can, pl- we'll plug it somewhere, you know. We'll plug it, yeah. But I mean, right now you can get it. You can pre-order the digital already on on iTunes and all that shit. So yeah, yeah. The pre saves, yeah. We have two songs up there right now. Back to the grind and and crossing over the bridge are up. Now. Oh, okay. So, gotcha. I didn't. Realize. So you can actually listen to those right now. Sweet. And if it's any, I mean, the reaction so far from everybody that's actually listened to the record has been really, really favorable. I feel like it's a little breath of fresh air. You know, it's just, we'll see. Now, Matt Weininger did a killer job on the mix. It sounds he is the man. great. Like the fucking mix, like, you know, I think it's like, it's the perfect, it's exactly what these type of songs needed. You know what I mean? Like it's punk rock, it's skate punk. It's like, it needed to have this kind of energy and attitude, not lo-fi, but like it needed to be more like, a motorhead production, you know, like, right. You know, not, rather than like something modern or whatever, you know? Well, Matt Weininger, first of all, he's one of our Fremont homies and you may, I don't think you really knew him cause you might've been traveling on the outside of that circle. But Matt was, uh, we used to call him the whiz kid cause he was the youngest one. And, um, he was recording the fungo mungo demos. He did those demos. Oh, okay. And then he got the job to do great. Those are fucking yeah. awesome. Aren't they? Yeah, all that shit downtown Oakland. All that. Demo, I think the demos were. Yeah, I don't want to, you know, shit on anybody, but I think the demos were better than the record. <laughs> we all get demoitis. I know, but, right? We all get demoitis about our own shit or somebody else's. Like, I really love the energy on that demo. It's like, yeah, okay, but I mean, I, I would, I like the Fungo album, but that's way yeah, different. Um, I love, great. I love the album. But, yeah, awesome. the demos were great and that uh, crazy energy. But so he, but he was like fucking maybe 16 or 17 when he did that shit, dude. And then he immediately got the job to do all the Primus albums. Let's take a quick break. Just, we got a message here for fans over the age of 21. I want to tell you about MyPod, our newest vape pen sponsor. Now, as a warning, these products contain nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. I can tell you I'm not a vape user, but the people on the network who are into vaping can't shut up about MyPod. Lots of talk about the flavors and quality of MyPod devices. Also, let's be honest. If you're still smoking, it can be kind of gross to be around, and it's annoying hanging out with people that always need a lighter, and let's go outside and smoke, and every fucking 10 minutes... You know it. So for all you vapors out there, I want to tell you about the products available at mypod.com. 
because if you're a smoker or a vapor, you're going to love these. The new MyPod, M-I-P-O-D, by the way, is the best refillable vape on the market today. Vapors can refill any vape juice flavor that they prefer, long-lasting battery, and a small, sleek design. MyPod has a variety of disposable vapes available at MyPod.com, including top-selling brands like Vaporlux, Draco, Hyde, and Airbar. I think fans of disposable really like the new Draco disposable vape, which lasts for 6,500 puffs. That's a lot of puffs, bro. That's like a fucking carton of cigarettes right there. MyPod also has a wide variety of vape juice options. MyPod also has a wide variety of vaping options for 420 consumers. Lastly, MyPod has fast shipping with most orders on the same day. So if you're a vapor or a smoker, you'll love MyPod and support the sponsor that supports our show by going to mypod.com. That's M-I-P-O-D.com. And if you use promo code FN, F-N, you'll get 15% off. Once again, that's M-I-P-O-D.com. Use promo code F-N, like fucking, and you'll get 15% off. All right, back to the show. So he was doing Primus's fizzle fry and suck on this and everything up sailing on the seas of cheese. Oh, okay. Um, so he was like, you know, doing that. But he, but on top of that, Matt is probably the greatest guitar player slash musician, piano, bass. Oh wow! That I've ever that I've ever fucking known, dude. He's phenomenal. And um, yeah, I, I almost started a band with him a few years back. But when it came time to do this record, I didn't necessarily have him in mind when we first started. Uh, it was the back of my mind, but. As we were going on, I'm like, man, if this album leans too hard into being any one thing, I think we'll miss our opportunity to cross over again to a larger fucking group. And so that's when I thought of, as we were finishing up recording, I was like, I told the guys, I'm like, dude, I want to give uh, you know, Zach an opportunity to mix some stuff. And I want to give Matt an opportunity. I have a feeling Matt's going to take it into a direction that's just going to be very, uh, you know, copacetic. And, you know, to, to what we're after, which is kind of relating to everybody in every age group and everything, as opposed to just honing in on one little thing. Because if it's too metal, then I think a lot of people are like, their ears just tune it out. And not to say that it isn't metal, because there's plenty. There's plenty of metal. But like you said, Motorhead's a good way to put it. You know, every instrument's fucking loud. Yes. Yeah. You know, there's totally. nothing quiet. Is loud. That's a, that's a good point. You know, that's the one of the. That's why I told him. First just make everything loud. Right. We, everything we talked a lot. Than everything else, yeah, but it yeah. does that. Yeah, it totally. Yeah, like, yeah. So when he said, "I sent him bones of rock," I said, "Can you take a chance with this one?" And he wrote me back right after this. He's like, "Dude, he's all if every song is even close to this good, you know, I, I really love this. It's got a, what do you say? It's this whole record has a lot of charm, and um, coming from a guy like him, I have the utmost respect for him. I mean, I, I." I adored the man the person and uh yeah it was a huge honor to have him do it he's won two grammys in the last four years right the fantastic, fantastic negrito yeah negrito that's, negrito that's, yeah it's so good it's well, so good i love it it is really good man. right <laughs> Fuck it. It, it i went down a whole like fantastic negrito rabbit hole like after i found out that he won that i was just like i was like what's this i've been seeing the name i was just like what the fuck it's so fucking good funky as what fuck. i understand just this is where slinky yeah slinky and 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 what what negrito would do is he would send him and this is just me hearing a second hand but he would send him 
stuff like randomly bad, you know, not really well recorded demos necessarily, like more lo-fi shit. And then it would be up to Matt to fucking, you know, maybe finish the arrangements and, and build it into a song. Okay. And that was the the chemistry that that really pulled Negrito into being, you know, what he is today. There's that guitar player, uh, something junior, um, the guy with amazing Gary Clark Jr. When okay. he heard the Negrito album, he he modeled his whole next album after that. Oh, so when shit. he so he ended up winning a Grammy for an album that sounded like Negrito after that. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very influential. But I mean, Matt's done, dude. He's done so much shit, and he hangs. You know, his circle of friends is, you know, very very different than mine. I mean, he's you know, the dude hangs out with some of the best musicians in the world. Right. And yeah, I can't say enough of great shit about him. I remember when I introduced him to him. Well, this dude, you're like, who's this dude? I'm like, trust me, this dude. So if we ever get a chance, if we ever do a Rob Flynn and Friends thing again, and he's around, he lives in Austin now. He's got a badass studio out there. But if he's ever around, you got to have Matt come up, dude, because he'll he'll shine just fitting right. in. Just okay. Play a little thing. I almost was in a band with him, dude. Him and uh, Orion Salazar and uh, Andy Gallion. Oh, we started wow. writing songs together when my band Spiral Arms was about to tank out. And it was really incredible. But then I started Dressed to Dead in the meantime, and there you go. That one kind of kind of bye bye. <laughs> right, right. Now, good for you, man. I'm stoked for you. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm happy, dude. I, but like I said at the onset of this thing, I I'm happy in, in in a world that's fucking absolutely insane and everything's fucking going haywire. I try to just uh, I try to maintain more fucking of an even keel these days, not get wrapped up in all that shit. But I mean, it's real easy to fucking have your mind just wander into you know how wacky our business is because of everything you know i mean this is really really weird time to be fucking thinking about touring and i've got shit going on this summer and you got shit going on after i'm like fuck what do you got what's gonna happen well dress the dead is playing yeah dress the dead which we haven't even talked about we're playing our first uh european run we're we're going from alcatraz to uh dynamo and then i have bay area in uh, italy Alcatraz is in uh, Belgium. Okay. Oh, the Alcatraz Belgium. Festival. Gotcha. Yeah, it's like, it's like more of a, a fifteen to twenty thousand. Cool. Uh, Dynamo is 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 they kept it in smaller. It's a soccer stadium now, so it has a cap of ten thousand. But those will both be sold out because everyone's fiending for these shows. And we're in good spots on both those days. And uh, yeah, so I mean, but I mean, you're, you're, we were talking about well, we're going to do an entire run between with shows in between and everything we're like. Have you looked at the price of fucking petrol? <laughs> it's fucking insane. Like, I'm sure you have looked at it. I'm like, holy crap. You know, if you're not getting paid uh, well enough, it's really hard to run a string a bunch of dates together like you used to. Right. It's just really, really hard. So my, again, my expectation is expensive. That, People don't realize how expensive touring is. It's really, really fucking expensive. Even, on your level, I can't even imagine. Stratospheric. Right. On, on my level, uh, it, it's expensive and to the point of where you got to really think about what you, what your intentions are, how far can you fucking go? You know, everyone's like, are you coming to my town? I'm like, maybe, I don't know. Cause my, the way I look at music in the industry now is like my, I'm really more about the music right now, uh, more so than anything. Cause I just don't know. I always said, if there's, when I started dress the dead, I always said, if there's a demand, we'll supply it. But until then, I'm not really worried about 
trying to fucking force myself into every market unless somebody gives us a great tour that pays just enough to, you know, there's gotta be a lot of circumstances in, in the year 2022 that are way different than they were when we were kids doing this shit. Are the two shows back to back? They're not. We have a week off between and we're going to do, you gotta we're, we're going to do, do death angel tour. It. You got to do. Death. We're going to, we're going okay. to, we're going to, but we're just, it, you're also talking about a time when everyone's doing dates between shit. So we were offered a tour of death angel. Uh, they offered us that fucking tour, the entire fucking tour. Oh, wow. With them, dressed to death. Okay. They love the band. They, we played with Death Angel so much. They know, they know our band. Right. So they're like, first wow, you're huge fans of Kayla. We should Death probably Angel. talk about that. But what's that? First shows were with Death Angel. Your debut yes, show. Yes. Right? The date, the two debut shows when we had Peter, Peter Dalving. Yeah. Right. It was with, with, and they, they prefer us, I think, now with Kayla. That's just their preference. But they, you know, everybody liked Peter too. But that's a different story. But uh, yeah, we're going to for sure do at least two shows between. It's not that many days. And uh, we have one show that we're going to do the, at the Dynamo Club the day before uh, that, that Dress the Dead plays Dynamo because I have Bay Area Interthrational. The people that are in town we're gonna that I'm flying in are all going to rehearse at Dynamo Club during the day. And then Dress the Dead is going to play a show that night. Oh, cool. So we'll do, you know, like it's, the band's been kind of dormant for the past two and a half years since fucking COVID came except for writing songs and recording songs on our own. And we recorded a bunch of shit with Zach that we have to have to pile up and, and finish. But really since COVID happened with Kayla living in Portland, Kayla Dixon, we're talking about here. We didn't really get into that, but uh, the, with that happening and the amount of people that we knew that died, family members that died, not from COVID, like you just from life and shit happening. We really, <laughs> we had to put it down. And that's why the bonus ones coming to me at that time was perfect because I was like, I'm kind of bummed because I can't do as much as I want to do. And they asked me to do something fun. And I'm like, that's why I jumped in. It's way easier. And I don't, you know, and those dudes live out of town, but they could, they could, they travel more. They move around. They, you know, they're constantly moving. That's awesome. Yeah. Let's talk about Kayla. Kayla, you got an amazing singer, Kayla Dixon for Dress the Dead. Just phenomenal I mean, just kind of mind-bogglingly good voice, you know. Super talented, super nice girl. You know, got you got a killer. You you scored a great singer. She's the singer for also for Witch Mountain for right. anybody. She was on the podcast. One of my first, one of my like first five ten. Podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She was yeah. She was it's like up, actually that's like, up now too. Everybody, can, if you want to go to the my YouTube page and just scroll back, it's up now. I think it's just audio though. That was like before Zoom. Well. That's before everybody jumped on Zoom. Yeah, no, she was really excited about that. I remember we were uh, rehearsing for that show, the 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 Killian on Command. Um, oh, okay, right. Was, at the same time, so she came she came right from doing the interview with you to hang out and do the rehearsals and check out the Killian on Command rehearsals of the violent stuff. So yeah, she was a she was a find that found us. You know, um, a friend had suggested to her a few months beforehand. See. We should probably, I mean, I know you probably, I don't want you to get any, any twitches or fucking, you know, I don't want you to get all disturbed, but I mean, the, the Peter Dolving thing should probably be touched upon because we would have never found Kayla had she not been a fan of Peter. Okay. Um, yeah, she was a fan of Peter and a friend of mine had told her. Yeah, we can talk about Peter. There's no reason to I not know, talk well, about Peter. 
Well, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. And, and I, and I adore Peter Dope. First of all, I adore Peter Dope. I find him to be one of the most creative artists that I've ever fucking known. Uh, tortured soul, no doubt going through a lot of shit, no doubt. And I took the fuck it. I rolled the dice and, uh, I had him come out from, from, he was living in Denmark at the time and he was so into it. I mean, he was so enthusiastic. Love the music we were writing. Yeah, just so everybody's really clear, stuff. we're talking about when Craig first put together Dress the Dead, he got yes, the delving of The Haunted, of uh, ex-Mary Beats Jane, to sing for Dress the Dead. And so you yes. guys you guys record your very yes. first demos, I produce the demos, and then you guys do your uh, debut shows as Dress the Dead, opening for Death Angel. For Death two Angel, two nights, two nights of slips. Yes, thank you for fucking putting that. See, this is the problem when we know each other so well. We have our, all our backstories in our mind. Thank you for being a good podcast guy and fucking putting that in context. So uh, I should really back up to when Spiral Arms ended, I, I, I really needed at that moment to not be told what the fuck I can do and what the fuck I can't do musically, which I'm sure you could relate to. And it was getting to a point at that, at that stage where we were completely toxic. So I was like, why can't I play thrash metal and rock and roll? Nobody fucking can tell me I can't do both. I could fucking do both. And I, and I don't want anyone to tell me otherwise. So my one number one singer on that list before I had anybody even placed into the band was, was Peter, because I was such a fan of all of his lyrics and, you know, the pain and, and everything that he brings to the table that singers really, I believe, have to have to and at least in our genres of music to really relate on a larger level to, you know, get that cosmic dust that, you know, lays in the fucking between all the air. And I, and I, I was amazed that he said, yes, he's like, cause he was a big forbidden fan. I, he used to say, uh, he's like, yeah, the haunted guys would play your stuff on the bus. I'm like, Why can't we do that? He's like, you know, he's all, but they're Swedish. So it's just different. You know, cause I get a thing against sweet. I guess Swedish folks are, in his mind, because he's half American, are very reserved. So he always had this thing like they don't quite let loose all the way. That was his whole thing. That was his whole mo. You know, so uh -huh. we don't we don't in Sweden really let everyone know our feelings. So I'm weird to them. I understood that. Um, so anyway, so he agreed and and he started sending demos that sounded pretty good, and then they got better as they went along, and then he arrived and he fucking had tremendous ideas, as you know. Um, yeah. Tremendous. Like, I thought there was a big jump from when he arrived, you know, like the demos, yeah. it was kind of like, whoa, like he didn't know what he was doing. And, and then the demos, when he came in, I was just like, oh, wow, like you've got these way more like finalized. It's cool. Yeah, which I knew he would do. I mean, real professionals, I always say when you shoot the real bullets, you find out who's, you know, a professional or not. Like, you know, you, you could sit there fucking around. And, is that a, is that a Craig saying? <laughs> when you shoot the real bullets, you always find yeah, out. yeah, yeah. I got a few. I got a few. That's one of them. But yeah, it would be, I mean, he he came in shooting real bullets, and I mean, I, I, I we were all flabbergasted. None of the guys knew him. I mean, I, I should talk about Jimmy. Did you, guys, did you know him though prior to that? Like you actually had like toured together, like cross. We never toured together. We okay. just talked a shitload. I I saw him at a few shows. Oh, okay. I met him through. Chris Contos actually brought me to see him once at Slims, and I was already a fan of The Haunted. But I, okay, I remember meeting him and sitting on the bus with him, going, "This dude is like one of my best friends. He's like one of the kind of guys that I hang out with." And I, and I, he had this presence on the internet of being so 
uh, he was an agent provocateur, you know, he just wanted to fuck with people and he would say shit that would fuck with me and he got a huge kick out of it. So, I mean, I, I, I at that point was similar in my, uh, what was it back then? My, MySpace, pro, you know, <laughs> well, I was definitely an agent provocateur in my own way. So I was like, oh yeah, this guy's fucking cool, man. I'll... So anyway, with, but you know, once I got the other guys in the band who I should mention, uh, Mark Hernandez, who played with me at Forbidden, who was, yeah. a, you know, who I really, really wanted. I mean, he's, he was the best I ever wrote music with as far as fucking knowing what I'm thinking mm-hmm. at that point. Like there was nobody else. Who, I played with Paul Bostaff. I played with Steve Jacobs. I played with Gene Hoagland. I played with Eric Kretz from Stone Temple Pilots. Played with all these different guys, but Mark was like somebody I could play a riff and he knew exactly what I was looking for without me having to even say it. He still does that to this day. So there's Mark who did Omega Wave with me. And then Jimmy uh, Walker, who was in Man Made God with me. And we did the whole experience with Rick Rubin and he lived that with me. He writes a song on his bass, it was separate from everything else, which is, so I had these guys and Dan DeLay who was very atmospheric, but they didn't know Peter really. They only knew the haunted. They didn't know anything. And Peter has this ability to make you fall in love with him, you know? And when they met him as, as you know, you get, a, you get a little bit of a man crush when you meet Peter because he's just such a personality. So they, they were just like, Oh my God, you got this fucking amazing artist. And it was just magical. And then we did the demo. We did the shows. He got a concussion the first night, the first show. I don't know if you know that he got a concussion. Jimmy, him and Jimmy had stopped headstock to fucking base and backstage right before we walk on stage the first night. So he was up on stage with a concussion, came home with the concussion and, uh, it, you know, managed to still do, do pretty fucking well, but it was like, he wasn't quite all there. So let's fast forward. We don't need to bore people all that. The show went fine. It was a little loose because we hadn't really gelled hundred percent as, as a, as a band yet, you know, expectedly he just flew in a week before, like we're up on stage fucking playing in front of, you know, whatever like almost 800 people yeah. yeah it was great so but anyway so he goes shows? home you did both shows or just did the one we did two. Oh yeah you did we the did two shows. yeah yeah the second night was actually better than the first night i was gonna say i think i saw you on the second night you saw us uh we we weren't wearing the fucking ugly sweaters right i don't think so okay no. yeah you saw us the second night yeah 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 because when first night we wore ugly, ugly christmas sweaters and jimmy okay. wore an ugly christmas dress Okay, yeah, right. yeah it was great. Just kind of wearing regular clothes. Yeah, yeah, it was a little different. Address, so, um, address the dead. That's good. Yeah, yeah that no, Jimmy. Jimmy's the guy. Dude, Jimmy was, that could have been a shtick of yours. Like you're all in dresses. Yeah. The best fucking <laughs> quote I got. The best quote I got. I, I saw it when Blabbermouth had fucking released this thing, and I, and I and I looked down at the comments, which you never should do. But it was it was. Oh uh, no, you should because they're fucking funny. Some of those motherfuckers. No, no, <laughs> they're no, no, dress the dead. They're fucking funny. Some guy goes dress the dead. What is all perfect for Peter Dalving? Like, you know, just like go, like, you know, because he'd wear a dress. Like, Jim, he would do shit like that. And Jimmy would do shit like that. And that's why I liked him too, because I thought he took chances and he'd fucking, I never had a singer that was fearless. You know, I never had that dude. And that's so rare. So I don't want to spend too much time talking about him, but let's just say he deserves to be talked about. He, he did have a huge impact on this band. He set the template extremely high. So there goes my fucking computer again. Sorry, man. And then, uh, and then you know, he goes home and and has problems at home, things happening in his life, you know, things with his kids, and he just he literally just melted down. And um, and it was really sad because he melted down on Facebook, and that's how we found out. And that's what I remember pissed you off, pissed me off. Everybody was like, ah, 
could you have just done that in an email or fucking something, you know, like, right. Do you have to let people, but he hasn't done not music. The, not a good look. Like not, yeah, the, it wasn't a good look, but, but to his credit, he didn't hit He was not a hypocrite and he has not done music since. And he moved on in life to different things. And he's, he's doing a lot better, but for the longest time, it was just this unresolved feeling. What, where does Kayla come along into the picture? A friend had told her uh, that we were looking for a singer a few months earlier and asked me if it was a uh, first he asked me, would it be OK if I talked to this girl, uh, Kayla Dixon from Witch Mountain? Now, I'd seen Witch Mountain and I was like, uh, yeah, but I in my mind, I'm like, I can't imagine I, a girl singer. I've never had one. I don't know what that would be like, but sure. Yeah, why not? So I kind of had it in the back of my mind. It really wasn't. But I thought she was incredible. I thought. I thought when I saw her play with Witch Mountain at the uh, was it Metro with Skull the Skull, which was Eric Wagner, the late Eric Wagner's band, and and St. Vitus. Uh, I remember walking in and people were like, "Dude, you got to see this fucking singer. She fucking blow your mind." Was she? And I walked her around the corner, and sure enough, I there she was staring people down, like looking them straight in the fucking eyeballs, you know. And I was like, "Oh shit, she's gonna be a star." Took a drink of my water. Well, walked away you know i had peter dolphin what did i care so yeah so months had gone by we, we i had been getting rehearsal submit or rehearsal uh submissions for people not rehearsals but recorded submissions and and they were also like not right that i wouldn't even play them for the guys in the band right i'm like they're like so what are you getting i'm like a lot they're like can we hear it i'm like no <laughs> it's like no dude it's not it's just going to depress you. It's not that they're bad. It's just, they're not good for us. And then we, you know, we, we came very close to, you know, you know, as you know, and it, we never really said it. He knows, we know, but we came very close to a good friend of ours, uh, possibly getting the gig, but he was just, you know, a great singer that was also not right. And there was a few of those, you know, like they're great singers. They're just not, you know, it's going to push us in a direction. That's not where this band needs to go which is lofty and fucking gutsy and fearless. That's what I'm after. Why, why do this that long to fucking land safe with anybody? Right. So then I got a fucking text, dude. Hi, this is Kayla Dixon from Witch mountain. My friend said that, you know, you're looking for a singer. I really hope to, or I really hope there's a chance for me to audition. Is it still open? And I'm like, Oh my God. You know, like, yeah. Cause I think Mark was going to quit like that night, dude. Oh, yeah. I think he was going to quit. Yeah, because we were just so frustrated. We we're writing all this incredible music and we just didn't have the fucking, you know, it was like a tapestry for what, you know, like, what are we, what are we doing here? And uh, he was like, I just can't do this without direction. So that very day I talked to her, I'm like, okay, this sounds interesting. You know, like she, she's a lot of a huge Peter Dolby fan. I don't know what your, your fans are going to think. Yeah. Cause you had already me. released. Yeah. Dress the Dead had already released music out. The right. A couple of songs, maybe two or three songs, one, two songs. I think, it was, I think two. I think we, I think we never put out knives out with Peter. Yeah. So she had, heard, we had, we had, had put out those we had put things out that went out. Yeah. She had heard this. I said her, well, I'd sent her. Yeah. She was already a huge fan in 1969. Okay. So here, dude, this is where it gets interesting to me. And this, to me, I mean, this band, the fact that we're on ice now, you know, that can all, that can all be in the rear view mirror if, if, if we end up doing this right. But so I, I, first of all, I talked to her and she's like, yeah, I'm a huge fan. I want to come. I'm like, okay, well then I'll just send you all this material 
you can get back to me with that. In the meantime, I'm going to go talk to the band and let them know I talked to you. So I go in there that night knowing that I could feel in the air that Mark was probably going to quit. You know, it's like, he just seemed like he was about to quit. And I, and they come in the room and I say, okay, guys, I got to tell you something. First thing, uh, I talked to a singer today and they're all, oh, I'm like, they're very good. And not what you're thinking at all. They're all, oh, and then I can see Mark is like, okay, I'm listening. I'm all, but I got a few things to tell you. First of all, it's a girl. They're like, really? Huh? Wow. I'm all, and she's pretty young. She's only 22 years old. They're like, oh, that's really young. I'm all, and she's black. And they're like, Wow. And then all of them did this. They all, and I, I'm not even kidding, dude. All of them did this. They looked down at their arms and I had an arm standing up because it not, you don't know what she's going to be like or anything. They don't, they weren't familiar, but the kind of people we are, dude, and the, and the open hearted, open minded people that we are as a band, Dan, Dan, Dan delay included in that time, you know, the, everybody, it just seemed like now that's fucking with, with lack of balls, ballsy. Right. Like, like now you're introducing a whole different thing. So like, well, what's, what's the deal? So I, I showed them stuff and I told them about when I saw her. No, well, that's exciting. That's exciting. So we got excited. And then when the t- within two days, she had sent me that demo shit that I'd sent you where she demoed 1969. Right. And, and uh, promises and kisses. And here's where I, I fucking realized we had, we had struck fucking the ultimate gold mine. Because she took a song like 1969 written by a Swedish slash American guy in Peter Dalming. Well, he's Swedish. He was living in Denmark. He was living in Denmark at that moment. But yes, you know, but who has this fucking great political science overview of the entire world, right? And she interjected her fucking soul into it, into being a fucking young black woman in America at a time where fucking it was okay to fucking start being a racist again right and start being sexist and like she put that fucking attitude that tina turner fucking aretha franklin fucking explosion into this song and i was like it was written for her right. it was fucking written for her and peter didn't know it and peter reached out to me when he heard his oh, wow and he's like she's really good you know like that's you fucking did all right finding that one so you know there was this whole excitement era you know, we were just writing shit and, and, and recording shit. And you're not really knowing somebody yet. though. So that was the one weird thing. I think that, and you know, there's not really a lot of negative to say, but I can say if anything we've all learned is that we didn't know each other that well. We ran into a lot of shit. And then when, you know, you start to see like, you, well, how do you put this? She's a lot younger than us. She can have a lot of things. She's fucking super intelligent. She's got ridiculous amounts of talent, but wisdom doesn't come with anything besides experience. So she had to learn some shit too. And I think she's grown a lot since we first got her in the band as a person, just from her experiences and her, she had a lot of things happen to her, her life. And and since then, so, you know, with COVID and being shut down and her work being shut down as an actress, because she's an actress and she does fucking, you know, uh, you know, plays and, and, and TV shows and movies occasionally. I think that uh, a lot has happened for her that's probably given her the experience, the seasoning that she fucking needed to really become as great as I think she's capable of becoming. You know, you can be a great singer, but, you know, you, nothing beats experience, man. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's something that 
I'm looking forward to when she comes back because we have our first show at the beginning of June in fucking two and a half years, dude. Yeah. Two and a half years. Yeah. yeah. Since shit went sideways. So have you guys you know, she'll be here for all that time. Have you guys rehearsed at all during that time? She's been out. We recorded. Uh, we did a COVID fucking in-studio COVID thing where she did with us. And um, she came out and we recorded a couple songs. We did the, the red handed demos. Uh, that are up on up on iTunes and all that stuff. Or okay. The stuff that we actually they're not demos. They're stuff that we all released on a uh, Blood Blast. So all this stuff came out on Blood Blast, and we have a bunch of other music we recorded. And it's just today. like it's like a slew of singles, right? It's not really like an album. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Like We're just going to compile them all to make a CD. But in the meantime, we've written in fucking another record and a half, you know. And then she's been sending us demos of that, and th- and that's getting better. Um, but yeah, nothing beats being in a room together. Nothing beats experience, you know. So you learn. Like I, I would like to paint a picture of everything's always perfect, but I don't think that's really fucking cool either. Because I think that we had to, we have to acknowledge that we had experience to to gain together. We had to learn together. We had to go through this shit together. Um, you know, hopefully we'll arrive on the other side. And when we get out to Europe, people will see a completely different uh, cohesion as a band. You know, and that's that's what I'm looking forward to. It's like the new version. And all the new songs are incredible. They're incredible. Are you going to be so playing I, these in Europe, or are you still just going to be kind of focusing on the old the songs that are out? Pro- probably fifty fifty. Probably fifty fifty. I mean, how long do we get to play in Europe? You know, both the sh- both shows are going to be. Well, we do get a long set. We can play as long as we want at Dynamo. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we'll do an hour. You guys should do Dynamo as many dates as you can. But like, everything else will. You should do as many dates as you can. It costs so much money to just sit around, you know, on a day off because you got to get hotels and you got to, you know, at least if you're playing, you're like just staying busy. You know, the our week, hotels are covered in the week in the week between Alcatraz and Dynamo. Yeah, our, you'd be surprised. Our our entire trip is covered for, uh, financially through everything, including the hotels through both oh, okay. Alcatraz and Dynamo. Oh, wow. So we are covered in a lot of ways. And I, and I managed to spread the, the fee from Bay Area International, you know, along the along the way to make it's all it'll all work either way. So cool. it'll be a little bit of a, a great working trip and a little bit of a vacation. You know, a couple of wives are coming out like, you know how it goes, man. Cool. So but I mean, I would love to do full on. So let's just say Death Angel offered us a fucking entire tour. But the price of a bus now is this a three. They have three band bus. It, like it's insane. You're like, wow, yeah, thanks. No, <laughs> it's like we can't. We just can't say yes to everything anymore. You know, we got to be selective. I want to. So you were going to you were going to share a bus with three other bands. Yeah, with two others. Yeah, Death Angel and another band. There's going to be three oh, gotcha. bands. Oh, you get and you say so you guys are going to all be on the same bus with Death Angel. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. All right. Yes. Had to had to had to take a pass. Uh, not that I wanted to, you know, but they're going to stick around for a day uh, after we play because we're playing dressed as plan on uh, Saturday. And then I got the Bay Area International thing and then Death Angels involved in that. OK, so they're sticking around Sunday. with the other bands are bailing. Is that on yeah. Sunday? OK, Sunday. Yeah. Which is it's an amazing bill that day. Uh, Cannibal Corpse is on the bill that day. Capitated that is Vogue on the bill that day. Not that day. Okay. No, but Sacred Reich, Cannibal Corpse, and Lamb of God just got added today. Cool. So those are those are all people that are going to be involved in the Bay Area International. Oh, sweet. I reach right out to Randy. I'm like, hey, dude, you just got added today. We're like, we got it. So we're going to talk tomorrow, and and I'm going to have different members of different bands playing. And, and Bay Area International closes the whole event. Is that what the deal is? 
It was going to originally. I believe that the night that we're playing now is, uh, oh, God, was it Heaven Shall Burn is going to close the event? It's oh, yeah. fucking it's big out there. Huge. Yeah. 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 So, but I mean, we're playing uh, after fucking Cannibal Corpse and Sacred Reich. And maybe Lamb of God will play after us. I'm not sure, but they might not. They might play before us. Different stages or? No, no, same stage. Oh, okay. It's going to be insane. It's going to be insane because I've been, you know, you know what my idea was originally. People don't know. But Bay Area International was something that Dynamo reached out to me about a couple of years ago. And they didn't call it, they didn't have a name for it. They said, can you do a, a Bay Area Thrash tribute? I said, that sounds really boring. I'm like, I'm really not into that, but I will be happy to talk to you about it. If you fly me out there and I take a look and I'll, I'll look at your scene, I'll see if I get some ideas. So I did. My idea was really fucking much coming in from like way left field to have different bands, different people from different thrash bands, all oh, creator creators headlining that night, dude. Oh. So Millie, we'll have Millie up there with us too. Great. So, but my idea was to have different people from these, you know, older thrash bands. I don't necessarily want young up and coming whippersnappers up there. I want dudes that played in all the bands but nobody is allowed to play their own song. The first one we're doing for the first time is going to concentrate on Bay Area Thrash stuff. But if you like if Testament's there, Chuck Billy ain't fucking singing the Testament song. Okay, gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Craig Lucistro is going to stand on the side and watch them do Forbidden. Yeah. Like, so that's how it's going to work. Okay, okay. And having the you know, European cool. Thrash guys involved. Yeah, that totally yeah, It's going to be great. Right there, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be great. And, I, and it opens up your possibilities yeah. uh, quite a bit. Well, we're, we're doing it in the Bay Area, dude. We haven't even announced it. Might as well announce it now. We're playing the Great American Music Hall on October 28th. Oh, shit. Which is for a Halloween. And I'm going to I'm gonna have a contest where uh, you dress up like either Paul Bailoff or Cliff Burton. Like, that's going to be... <laughs> but that's the vibe. Bailoff, like, Bailoff will be vibe. hard, but Bert, Cliff Burton will be... You have to get, like, a, you know, silver spandex and, you know, like, a, the striped... The striped oh, spandex, yeah, that era. you know? Like, or I don't know. That era of Bailoff, my God. No one yeah. thinks about that anymore. But, yeah. But the, it'll just be mega fun. Just yeah. mega fun. And so, I'm, I'm... Yeah, I'm, I'm busy, man. You know, I'm looking forward to that. Finally, after all horrible fucking breakdown of every plan that i had over the last fucking few years it's going to be nice to finally get all this shit underway i'm really excited about it that's awesome that's awesome yeah that'll be good so october 28th great american music hall bay area interthrational is happening in yep. the bay area i don't even think i'm gonna have an opening band i think I, I i'm thinking it's probably just gonna be like two sets separate i might do a european fucking thrash metal and then a bay area thrash metal mm, thing that'd be cool yeah yeah just you know i mean creator sodom celtic frost yeah celtic frost you know you do some swedish stuff like speaking of swedish stuff what was swedish hey. what was there wasn't really like a lot of thrash coming from sweden at that time was there no that can at the gates might have been like they're kind of the first to pull the thrash like the, to be big that had more thrash influence yeah, uh, like, but I don't even that consider that them trash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, <clears throat> what you may not know, like when Forbidden did uh, the first tour was Sacred Reich, and we toured in Sweden. We played this little place in the city called Fagerstad. It's like it was outside of uh, Stockholm, and it's in the mountains, right? Okay. And fucking, uh, 
first of all, I fall asleep. I take a, a nap and I wake up to the sound of like, what the fuck's going on? I open the windows back when they had bunks with windows and I open the window. I'm like, there's fucking Swedes everywhere, like rolling down the hill and fucking screaming and pissing. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Turns out it was a Sunday. So there was no alcohol being served. So it was their fucking moonshine day. <laughs> so they were all fucking wasted, dude. So I would go, well, this is going to be great. Then I got it. coming to your show. They were all, you do this. This is in the mountains, dude. This is like a, on a hill. I'm imagining like a campground. Right, right. With all these people like fucking falling down the hill and peeing on each other. It literally looked like that, dude. And I see other, I open it further. I see Russ. He's got a Viking helmet on and he's drinking out of a horn and nice. Russ, 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 Russ. <laughs> so it's like this whole vibe going on. So anyway, to come to find out years later after this amazing show and then the show we did with Death Angel a year later, that that those two gigs were full of guys that became like all the big fucking Swedish bands. Dude. Oh shit. Wow. Both those gigs were full and the, and they point to those two gigs as two of their most influential fucking gigs that they saw as kids. And I'm talking about dudes, even dudes from refused. Wow. Right. Like, like you're talking about you know, one guy from the hives, even like outside of the box, like you're holy shit. Like that's crazy. This, this, yeah. It was really cool, man. And you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can go on, you know, the guys, arch enemy guys, I can, I can you know, see that, all dude. those like, guys. I mean, forbidden, especially like in Sweden, I think would have probably gone over better than, a lot of places because the Swedes really liked that melody, you know, like the Swedes wanted, you know, it's always been a, even of like, you know, like listen to Amana Marth, like it's still musically, the bedrock is very melodic, you know, it's death metal, vocal, right. but it's like, you know, like I could see forbidden, like just killing it there. Yeah. Well, and plus we were absolutely fucking insane with energy back in the, I watch videos from those shows. I'm like, Oh, oh. like we just, the, the amount of fucking flurry, yeah. that we had back then was the wow hur- the hurricane dude it was like but it sounded like i always say big like bees in a blender <laughs> so then you hear solo pop out you yeah. know i, I, def- I definitely think that forbidden never gets the credit and i'm going to say this right now in the thrash history forbidden was the first to do the the circle the circle bang you know nobody else was doing that like you guys well, thank you very much it, you guys brought it to the fucking masses so many bands do it now don't even realize that they're fucking jack and forbidden when they do that you know like that that was like yeah. your guys thing nobody well, it was, it, what it was it was, my, it was my thing and then matt started least, doing it and matt had such yeah. great hair that <laughs> yeah he had great hair but he went the other way so we were like this right we we're all <laughs> and then he was off time and then, ah. it, was, it was never but the reason why I started doing it, Rob, is, I mean, I saw it wasn't because I was imitating anybody. It's because when I was I went forward, back and forth, my fucking neck and my was killing me. So I started figuring out if I go in one direction, I'm probably not banging my brain on my fucking skull. And then and at least I can fucking deal with this. So, yeah, you know, nowadays I don't do it at all. I don't think. But yeah, that was like, uh, yeah, it's just kind of habit happened out of habit. And then we became the band. The hell now all those Swedish you bands know? do it. All those Swedish bands do it. Like I was just like, oh shit! Like it became fucking Death Clock does it. Yeah, it became a thing. <laughs> like it became a thing. I think Kronos really deserves the credit, though. You think? They didn't do it. They they just whipped their hair with that reckless abandon, not to a beat. Though. There was there's never a good groove. Or, we were kind of circular. It it kind of looked like we were moving. You know, oh, we were definitely moving to the to whatever rhythm we were in. Hmm. But yeah, it became like it was unconscious to start, and then it became obviously what it was but yeah right. well, that's the 
Yeah, this fucking computer shutting off is dead slight here. Uh, but, you know, um, I, sorry, uh, I want to I fix this thing real quick. But as far as all those old days go, I, I don't think we really understood what impact we had at all, to be honest with you. I don't think we understood it in the, in the slightest. And nowadays, shit, man, uh, Decibel just put out an article uh, of putting forbidden evil into the fucking that. hall of fame. I saw yeah. that. That's killer. I was actually going to post about it and I just totally forgot about it, but thanks for reminding me. Yeah. Well, you know, cool. congrats on that, man. That's for, awesome. Yeah. And for those of you that don't know, Rob is a big part of forbidden evil. And I think that we should probably get into a little bit of that. A little, I mean, it's up to you. You steer the fucking thing, but I, I, you know, uh, I, think that, I, I mentioned that, I mentioned you a lot in, in that a second. Article. Let's get to that in a second, though, because yeah, I, you steer, I'd like steer to steer the ship, Captain. Yeah, I'd like to. <laughs> I wanted to get a little bit into like just like your early life. You know, you grew up in Las Vegas. You know, you've got uh, maybe not for all of your life, but you've got biracial parents. You know, your dad's yeah. black, your mom is white, and you know, I'm not sure. I can't really remember like how like how close were you with your your biological dad like do you have like clear memories of him or was he out pretty early well i don't know my biological dad because okay, i so like you I'm, I'm adopted i'm adopted and uh i was adopted at six months old um i all i know about me in my past is i'm half native american and half italian that's what it says on my birth certificate so uh mohawk um which is rare you know not mohican because i evidently the last of them fucking died a long time ago but uh, yeah, so it was just really. Um, but uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I got shitty. I got shitty jokes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, I I grew up in a, in a family that really had no no musical inclination whatsoever. My brother was a genius and an architect. Uh, my mom was fucking deep into uh, political. Uh, stuff and she she was the president of the league of women voters in the 70s in las oh, wow. vegas um cool. she actually you know when that was a big deal i mean you're talking about yeah women's rights my mom was at the forefront of that hard worker um you know my dad was a history professor at unlv he moved on to be get his doctorate uh be he was ran the entire history department and compu- computer department uh at unlv uh, first to get a computer first guy to ever fucking have an apple first oh, guy wow. to ever you know like yeah but he ran he was a french to, I, don't, I didn't inherit any of this mind you but some of this shit ran out uh, just rubbed off of me my, my family was very smart and I'm not that smart um, but my dad was highly intelligent and he was his specialty was uh, French Napoleonic era and revolutionary history wow Hey there, auto mechanics and super cool do-it-yourself guys who work on their own cars. I want to tell you about rockauto.com, the online store with every auto part at the best prices. This is your one-stop shop for everything auto parts. Rockauto.com has been in business for 20 years and they make it easy to find the parts you need at the best possible prices. No more talking to over-the-counter guys who need to order your parts, aren't really sure what you're looking for, never have quite what you need. After all that hassle, we'll still charge you storefront markups. At rockauto.com, you can easily find everything you need, whether you're a mechanic, an auto shop, or working on your own car. Everyone has access to the same incredible pricing at rockauto.com. So if you're a car guy... Right now, go to rockauto.com, check out all the parts available for your car. You're going to have so much fun looking at car parts. Once again, go to rockauto.com. No promo code needed as their pricing is already that good. Let's get back into it. 
So when I look at the world which today, really, which is a really interesting part of history, very interesting. And if, if my dad was alive right now, he would be flabbergastedly fucking distraught over the fucking cycle of mistakes that we make as a society right now, leaning heavily into our Marie Antoinette fucking phase. Right, you know, right. I mean, we are leaning heavily. So not to get too much into that, but that's that's my background, dude. So. When I started like your mom has got to be fucking livid. You know, today we just found out that leaked documents uh, that the Supreme Court is signaling that they're ending Roe v. Wade, which is abortion rights in America that have been legal for 50 years. And here's your mom, you know, at the forefront of these type of fights and these rights for everybody. Your mom's got to be just fucking disgusted right now. She's got to be disgusted. And, you know, it's there's a statute of limitations on this type of stuff. But I mean, when you talk about abortion, like I, I personally have, you know, went through that twice with two different girls in my life and, and and we were nowhere near ready for fucking children and we were stupid and we were kids and people used to fuck all the time unprotected back in those days you know i mean it was just a different era but i mean i'm i'm very fortunate that i don't have fucking two you know 40 year old fucking kids right. running around. Right. <laughs> it's like you know but that's not not to make light of it. it's nothing but that's but my let's getting back in my background that's where i came from so I am a very much a, a black sheep in that way. So when my dad and mom got divorced, so yeah, I was eight years old. And, uh, you know, I, I went from being an okay student to a fucking shit student in about one minute, you know. And I was just angry, dude. And I was so fucking, you know, I wouldn't listen to anybody. And uh, I had a really yeah, bad experience with my stepmom right? that my dad married. Your dad kind of bailed too, right? Like he wasn't really around very much after this. I could, I'm sorry, you were breaking up again. I said your dad wasn't really around after this, too. Like, after they split up, like, he kind of isn't in the picture a whole lot. Well, he wasn't a deadbeat dad. He tried. We had weekend visits. I'd get a Sunday, you know, and I'd get a Sunday, but he didn't understand me. I mean, you know, he, he loved me, but he didn't get me. I was definitely, like, so far off the mark. You know, my brother being who he was. Uh, and, you know, this genius and straight A student and everything like, you know, I was like, who's they're like, who, why adopted? do we, is your brother adopted? No, no, he's not. No. Okay. No, they chose to adopt just because they wanted to help society. That's how liberal they were. Like, let's just pull a kid out of the fucking pile and see what happens. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You end up with this one. So, it, it, you know, here I was, I was all fucked up, dude. I, I was not at all an easy fucking mark for a kid. I was fucking miserable. And it got miserable after the divorce. And um, I didn't even play an instrument until much later. But my mom met Mel, who was my stepdad, the black gentleman you mentioned. And it started dating him a little bit after the divorce. And, uh, you know, I was already kind of open-minded. I didn't care what color anybody was because just how I was brought up. But we didn't vibe right away or nothing. You know, I was a pain in the ass. And, and up until they got married, dude, we just, and even well after that, we butted heads. Dude. When I turned 18 fucking later, he's all, all right, you have a job tomorrow at fucking 7 a.m. or else you're out of the house. <laughs> so I was out. By the time I was 18, dude, I was out of the fucking house right. and never moved back. Right. You know? So, like, it's not like I didn't have this cushy little fucking nice life. We were very lower middle class, didn't have a lot of money. Um, but music fucking saved me. And I started playing guitar in my freshman year of high school, when I first met you, Rob, <laughs> I had only been playing guitar for maybe a fucking month. You know? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'd barely been playing. And I remember I could barely play it. I was trying to learn, you know, we were talking about. How do we, maybe, how do we, I don't remember how we meet. Like, I'm like, that's a part Clement, of. Clement, 
Clement Leung. Oh, right. Clement Leung. Yeah, because uh, yeah, you guys went to school together. Yeah. No, it's the greatest. Right, yeah. Dude, it's one of my favorite stories to tell, and I have told it, and people have asked me how we met. Uh, Clement didn't even know me yet, and I was walking around with Merciful Fate Corpse without a soul EP. Fucking, I just bought it. <laughs> Cover out, because it had boobs, right? Cover out. None. I'm like walking around. Boobs like, on a pentagram. <laughs> yeah. See, so I literally, this guy goes, hey. This deep voice is all, hey, come on. Yeah, and I turn around, it's a Chinese kid. So I know a guy who likes the same shit you like. I'm like, no, you don't. No one likes what I like. But the, you know how I got into that is probably another story altogether. But but anyway, so I'm like, I got to meet him. He's like, yeah, he plays guitar too. You, you play guitar, right? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so fucking, I don't remember how I got there. We might have just taken the bus over to your neighborhood. I, or I, I'm not exactly sure. But I remember fucking distinctly walking in your house, seeing that red fucking Ibanez V you had. Yes. Right? Candy like, apple red. Dude. To, to the kid that I was and the, the, the remember that wood grain Ibanez that I had, mm-hmm. like I just got a wood grain Ibanez. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something special, but I, my logic was I didn't want to get anything that'll influence me too much. I just want to have a colorless guitar to start. That's why I thought. So you had this kid. I was like, that is fucking amazing. <laughs> and then you started fucking, I don't remember exactly what happened. You started playing a bit and then you did the fucking corpse of that soul thing. You just like, you started up here and you ended down there. There was like, you didn't know what was going on. He's all, or something like that. I was like, right. oh my God, this guy's incredible. Like, how, how did he do that? You know, where was, where, where's, where was my guitar? Because at that point, my dad living room in the living room, I was going to say, my dad let us jam in the living room for a minute there. We were in yeah. the garage originally, but then he let us, I guess the neighbors were complaining too much. So he, he let us move into the living room because my parents were already split up at this point And like, he could just basically take over the living room. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you uh So Clement you had, brought you, you over to my house. God, I don't that's so funny. Like I barely remember this. But Clement was like Clement was I had Clement lived on my street and Clement had an older brother named Vernon and Vernon had a car. So we were kind of like we would we would hang out quite a bit because like Vernon could take us places that we could never go on our skateboards or whatever. So you know, but Clement was yeah. like Clement was pretty much my best friend at that point. You know, like Yeah, he was a great went guy. To different schools, yeah. Well, remember, I, I went to my uh, 30th high school reunion, and I sent you a picture with me and Clem together. Oh, right, right, right. Fucking great guy, dude. He's just an amazingly, he's, he's just always had, like, really strong personality. Not stereotypically what you would, it, you know, because, I mean, stereotypes are what we do. But when you think of, like, you know, young Chinese kids, he he had a confidence to him that I had the Asian, other Asian kids I knew didn't have. Like, he was just, like, very, like, yeah, dude, whatever, you know. You you would, yeah. But anyway. I fucking got to know I did. I got into so much trouble with those guys. Like, fucking, we smoked our cigarettes. We drank our first alcohol. <laughs> like, we, like, snuck out. His brother was a real bad influence. <laughs> Ver, Ver, Vernon was a real bad influence. He was. They, were, they raged. They <laughs> raged. Rage. You gave me, uh, that day, I, the other thing I remember about that day is I went to your room and you had all your record collection. And, and you had that Witch Finder General fucking album on the on the. Yes. Next to your bed it's, with, with, the, with, the, with the tit on it. Yeah, I was like, ooh, <laughs> ah. oh, this guy's cool. And it was then you a, had fucking it was a picture all those disc. albums. That? It was the picture disc. Yeah. It was the witch fighting yeah, the old picture disc. I remember. I remember. See, stuff I remember now, since this has been years since I've been, you know, like decades since I've done hard drugs, things come back to me. Right. You know, and like, so I remember a lot of that shit now, but your record collection was incredible. 
and you had everything wrapped in plastic. It was the first time I'd seen that. I was like, oh, wow. Oh, really? I think you, and, you and Pittman probably did that because yes. Jim Pittman, who I met later. Yeah, he started doing that. And then I was like, oh, that's a good idea because like your, your shit would always get fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, now I got so many records. If you did that, you couldn't get them out. <laughs> They're all squeezed together. But yeah, fucking, it was a... That Witchfinder General, really, that Witchfinder General record was so classic. They, you know, like, it was like just a really, like, a really like they're all in like eighteen hundreds clothes, and like it's the chicks all topless. I jerked off to that thing so many times. It was fucking I'm crazy. sure you did. I, I, I was like, I figured that's why I was next to <laughs> your back right there. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of figured that, but yeah, it was, it was it was a great. See, now this is something you know. You and I are sitting here together, and for anyone who watches this. Uh, it sounds very casual as was, and it was very fucking random meeting and all, but you got to understand. And I, and I've realized this much years later, how fucking, uh, influential our meeting was, you know, like how many fucking things spawned out of that, that day, those fucking moments, us finally getting in a band together, starting everything that happened after that. People don't know, like the, the, the tree is vast and it goes way beyond us. But our fucking part of that tree, dude, just from that day alone, is fucking, it, it, it is resounding. It, it just resonates through all of this shit that's going on now. And it's really fucking cool. I mean, that's something you can look back on later. Nothing to get sprung on, but it's a really cool fucking thing, dude. And it's something to be, you know, kind of proud about. Yeah, I mean, yeah. dude, you're a huge influence on me. More so than you probably even realize, just because I was younger than you by a couple of years. And I could barely play guitar and you are a refined musician in my mind. You know, you're like, uh, you were already writing songs and modeling things after mm. fucking the bands that you liked that I liked too, but I just couldn't do that. So when we first started when so fast forward forbidden evil, actually we settle on the name forbidden evil. Finally, after all those crappy days, I was going to say the first, my first memory of hanging out with you is in your room for some reason. I'm, I'm not, I'm a little hazy on this, this day that you're talking about, but my, my first memory uh, is hanging out in your room and we're jamming guitars and yeah, you're, that, that you're happened playing, later too. Venom and you're playing man of war. Oh, and, I'm not playing man. Oh, did I know like play- the music, the bands? Oh yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Like, 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 don't record. ever say that. Like, no, on a record, <laughs> like you're playing man of war record. And, I was playing. Uh, yeah. What was that one? Um, you were you were into it, riding on two wheels, hands in the wind. Wind, give him the finger. Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. That I always, I always saw the humor in them. I never, I never. Any guys, any band with tunics on, like, I, I, love like, it. I was like, this shit's whack, bro. <laughs> like, I, was, I wasn't into it. <laughs> and you hear my death tone. Yeah, death yeah. tone. There you go. I was a Venom guy more than anything else. You were so most not. Venom. You were probably the per, you probably were more into Venom than any other band at that period. You know, like I was. Yeah, you were like the biggest Venom fan I knew, and it was not because cool. they were good. <laughs> but it was, but it was offensive. It was just fast. It was it. Like, and I was, I dug it, but but I didn't really listen to it that much. Like I knew welcome to hell. I knew like, you know, warhead and shit like that. But like, you really like were the one who were like, we'd listen to a venom album top to bottom, you know? And, like, and then I'd learn every fucking song because we just listened to it so much. And I think it was right around the time that, uh, at war with Satan came out. Oh, fuck. Dude. And there was some that to me is the best album. There was some bangers on there, you know, there I was, was. well, there's one 20 the minute banger. Like, Whoa. What's that? Yeah, no, I, I, I found and see that now that we go back to that, because I had found all this shit. Uh, see, I 
go back further. When I moved to the Bay Area, I was only into like, uh, you know, what everybody else was into Saxon, Maiden, Priest, fucking, you know, ACDC, all that shit. And then I fucking go to the record factory there on Fremont Boulevard and I'm fucking looking through the hit paraders and the circuses and whatever else there was. And there's this little rag in there and I pull it out. It's fucking newspaper. It's all crumpled up. Metal Mania. Oh, right. Shit. The one with Steve Metal Harris. Mania made it all the way down to the one Fremont, with, huh? Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I tell this to I tell this to Quintana and all the time he just smiles. He just gets basic. He's so happy about that. I'm like, dude, that again, that's another turn in my life, right? That that brings me that's ultimately what brings me to meeting you is through finding that magazine before everyone else did. So we from our two separate spots, our two little purchases of where we came from. Fremont, yeah. And and Jim Pittman, I think. Totally. Were the three yeah, fucking most connection to all that, yeah. Yeah, we, we we turned out to be the most into thrash metal before anyone else in the Bay Area or in Fremont was anyway. For sure. There was actually yeah. there was one guy, there was one other guy that I remember, I can't remember his name now. I think we played a party at his house though. He was the guy with the punk rock hair, but he always wore the metallic. Jim Edmonds. Yes. Jim yes. Edmonds. Yes. I talk I, he's on he's on Facebook and I talked we talked about that. He's like, dude, I'm still in trouble for me blowing my fence down at the party. Like, cause we played a party in his backyard and, and all three fences fucking crash, crash, crash. They're all fucking laid out. That was awesome. That's the way it was. <laughs> that That's was the way all our parties were. Fuck, dude. Every, I remember the first time we fucking played in Danny Barstow's. We were just talking about this the other day cause that flyer I sent you. Oh my God. I remember man. that. Dude. That was a fucking rager. Danny Barstow's backyard was a fucking rager. Yeah, it was no, it wasn't in the backyard. It, it was in the fucking living room. Oh, right, right, the living room. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I'm the whole thinking, floor. I'm thinking, started, I'm thinking I of another backyard. The floor fucking move like that. I was like, whoa, what's yeah. going on? I'm thinking of somebody else's backyard off of like. Ishmael. No, that was uh, that was with Lisa Fierro's backyard. Yes, 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 yes. That was. We had a party at Lisa Fierro's house. This is the most classic fucking moment for me, like a defining moment. So you know, we got Russ and whatever. So Russ, Russ comes in and he's all, "Hey, dude!" And he throws his bag up on the floor. Yeah, they had a breakfast nook. Right. So here you go. Well, what's in there? He's all take a look. And it's all these spikes, right? Oh my god, my god, bro. I don't wear spikes. Like I have never fucking why am I gonna wear spikes now? He's all dude, if we're gonna be metal, you gotta wear the spikes. And then fucking I'm like, really? And then he's older. And I'm like, let me check it out. And I put one on, and then there's Jeff Stewart at the other end of the fucking breakfast nook. He's all fucking posers <laughs> i was like oh fuck and i was like that's it dude put that bag away and never fucking break it out again dude i don't ever want to see that bag russell what it's and then you know from that moment on there was never a spike to be seen on forbidden but it, it was like it was just so funny how jeff just because jeff Stewart, who we should mention here was like you're you went to high school with him he's a couple years older than you right yeah i didn't really he know, was i didn't really know him in high school though he we I met him. Well, he's older. No, I got to know him later, though we went to the same yeah. high school. Wow! I just look over to the left and I says, uh, "I just had a uh, Jeff Stewart said something in one of my posts." So. <laughs> what? But he was a big influence on us in his way he, too. Totally. I mean, you know, for me, my story we had started Forbidden prior to you, and we had, you know, a couple guys. We had Lenny Mendez. We had John Teggio. We had these, not sorry, Leroy Mendez, not Lenny Mendez. Leroy, Lenny Leroy. was his cousin. And uh, Leroy Mendez. And so that's what, that, that's kind of how we got Russ in the band. Jim and I got Russ in the band. And we were jamming. We were actually jamming in Leroy's for a while. 
You know, yeah, we had no, that's all part of my had, story. We had Noel Plogger for a minute. You know, like Noel was kind of in the band. You know, we had a you know in a very early phase. We had a guy named Steve Lombardo when we were rehearsing at Jim's house. He was playing bass. I remember, and, uh, but you guys yeah. were called in. You got when I saw you, you were called Inquisitor. Yeah, you, we were, you were still trying to figure out. Yeah. You had a bunch of names. Forbidden Evil was on a list of like about fucking yeah, we, five we, or six we names. We were Forbidden Evil for um, for a bit though, and then I think right when you joined, we considered joint changing the band's name to War Witch. Oh that god, was, that, that yes. was the name we settled yes. on, and then Russ made a big backpatch of War Witch on his back, and then we were like, "No, we're going to we're gonna change it back to Forbidden Evil." <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Thanks, Satan. War with yeah, fuck Satan, you. yes. Yeah, dude. I There's so much fucking comedy. But uh, I saw you guys, and that's another thing. I saw you guys in that garage at Leroy's place. And that's where okay. I fucking met Russ okay. for the first You guys called me up. And, and you called me. Okay. So excited. You're all, dude, we found a singer who's like fucking as good as Rob Halford. I'm like, what? No. So then I fucking it go was, to the... It was, it was fucking... It was, I, I, I got to say, like, when... when you know, because we put Jim put, I, you know, I want, I want, I don't want to take credit because Jim was like the driving force. Like, you know, like I was way too introverted to do these type of things. Like Jim would be the guy who'd like print up a thing, take it over to the music store, put little tags on it with his phone number. Like I just wouldn't, couldn't do that at the time. So Jim would do that, and then we get a call from Russ, this singer, because Jim's just like, must be total thrasher into you know fucking Venom, you know all these thrash bands and all this stuff like that first era, and uh, and Russ answers the call. And, you know, Jim, Jim talks to him, not me. And, uh, and then he's comes down and he starts singing. We're like, holy fuck, man. Like, what the fuck? Like this dude's what the, like we're kids, like we're fucking 16. And he's like old enough to drink. 22. He's He's 22. 22. Old enough to buy booze. And we're just like, this is great. What does he want to jam with us fucking dummies for? But like he fucking did. And we were like, okay, let's fucking do this. Yeah, these are all parts of these are all branches of the tree that are very important. And and uh, I saw you guys. You invited me over to watch, and and I fucking uh, was watching you guys practice. You played like Restless and Wild, and fucking Am I Evil, Hellbent for Leather, Violence and Force, which all were songs in our set oh, when wow. I joined. Mm-hmm. And then, but then you played uh, Egypt Has Fallen, and that was where I was like what are you doing? I'm like, you're writing. I was like, you're writing some fucking badass shit. And that was the only song that you had written at that point. Right. Right. Yeah. The and, first, uh, the first song I ever wrote. Yeah. 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 Just yeah. incredible. It, it, it was just an it instrumental kids. that only Russ going, Egypt is falling. <laughs> yeah. Like fucking. And that was it. And then he's off, you know, and then he's having a drink. Yeah. But I, 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 we should have worked just, in some words. I don't know. There was no reason to leave it as an instrumental. <laughs> Incredible. It, it wasn't really a, a song that re- repeated much, so it was yeah. one of those. And which, which that was our, you know, your merciful fate influence at that totally. time. Yeah. But, but I, but here's what happens. So you guys go, you know, are we gonna get cigarettes run? I'm like, okay, I'm like whatever. I'm all, Russ, you mind if I pick up that guitar over there? Well, yeah. So I pick it up and I start playing balls to the wall, and he starts singing it. We got all the way through it, and he's all, he just looks at me, he's all. You know, you should be in this band. You're way better than Leroy. That's like that oh, he said to me. It's like I'm all, I'm all, and I got, I got a real close ball. Well, you tell Rob because I'm not going to say it. <laughs> that was how it all started, dude. And that was like, and then, and then I'm like, and then on top of that, you're like, so Russ tells me, uh, you know, you want you in the band because I remember the phone call. I'm like, yeah, you can play in my garage too. I'm like, huh? 
Uh, so that I think that was how I really got it. It's that like, was probably well, yeah, was, yeah. Yeah, it's like you got to move out of this garage. Yeah, we didn't you know, care how Greg, good you were. We didn't care how good you were. We we're just like, well, we can be in your garage, okay? <laughs> yeah, and I wasn't that good, you know. And, and that's the thing, like I, you know, like I said, you were refined already, or starting to refine yourself as a player. And I was just really only I played for just about a year, dude. When we started, okay. I was just about it. So my lead skills were non-existent. I was so I knew I, that I, long. I knew you that long before we were even jamming together. Yeah, yeah. I wanted okay. to jam you one time, and you, and you told me it wasn't going to happen. Right. And that's when you this went to play that talent yeah. talent <laughs> show. You played the talent show, oh, right? Like, with Noel, at the Holiday with Noel Plogger, yeah, at the Holiday Inn in Union City. <laughs> and we played I, we, you played that song, played by a Torch. Torch song by Torch from Sweden, which was like yeah. a kind of like a new wave of British heavy metal band, but they were fucking cool. I thought I was, we played a song called Retribution. Yeah, you sang. You didn't play guitar. I didn't play guitar. Yeah, because Noel was such a good guitar player, and I was just like, "What? Do, I don't. <laughs> this guy like smokes me." You know. But. See now, what what, what do we th- now? That's funny because what we thought was good back then just translates to like guys that burned. Like now we know that you right. have to have more than just burned. Yeah. Back then we're like that guy could shred. We didn't say anything like that. What? It, it wasn't even a word. Shred wasn't even a word. I don't think. No. No. This guy, this guy plays hella fast. Yes. Which is fine, but I remember watching you sing. And then I remember calling you afterwards going, look, dude, I know you want to sing. I don't know if you remember this phone call. I know you want to sing, but you're really wasting half your fucking talent. Dude. I'm like, you really need to be playing guitar. You're I'm like, you're better at that than you are. Fucking yeah, I mean, I at that point, like, I was like, yeah, I, I was like, like what are you I doing? I remember being mad at you about that. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I don't even know what it was a call. I think you might have said it to me after the show. The, th- the funniest thing that I remember about the show, though, is that everybody... You know, it's like this is like a fucking like it's like a talent show at a fucking in the conference room of a contest. It was a beauty contest. It was like a beauty a fucking, contest. Yeah, it's like little girls going up there and kumbaya, my lord. <laughs> like they're fucking kumbaya and like, you know, the hits of the day by whatever other people. And then we come up there and it's like. I just, you know, we've got fucking amps and fucking I just remember the first thing, like the very first note. Every single person in the room went <gasps> and put covered their ears, and then hell, Except everybody stood up and just left. And I was like, "Oh shit!" I was like, "Whoa, just, the power of music!" My seat. I just sat there in my seat, just like oh, laughing, yeah. dude, smiling. Oh my god! I, I, yeah, well, I you know, I, mean, I was like singing. I was like, "I'm gonna get." Down. They had a line like, "Get down!" Oh, down! Oh, oh, and I fucking yes, I slide. I was just like, "I'm fucking going for this." I was gonna mention that too. I was gonna mention that because that was a moment. I was like. Yeah, he he should probably play guitar. It's <laughs> like a fucking yeah. This is so funny, dude. I mean, I, at that point too, it's like I don't, you know, like I was not, I was so like insecure about my guitar playing, and you know, like I was pr- probably really fucking good, but I just felt like you needed to be so good that like I would never get there. And then here I've got this guitar player, Noel, who was like, seriously, you know, he had a few years on me. He was like, fucking kid, play leads super fucking fast, like faster than I could do anything. And in my head, I was just like, I, you know, and Jim was always like, the guys, one, you know? Jim was always like the one who was just like, you know, I give a lot of credit to Jim for my career because he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. You know, like he was like, uh, you know, because I was originally playing bass, and then he was like, "You should play guitar." You know, like they can, you know, seem like your guitar player, and then so I started playing guitar because Steve already had a bass, and then you know he's like, "You should be the singer. You seem like you're the singer." <laughs> you know, and I was like, 
okay, I'll, I'll sing. You know, like, I mean, if it wasn't for those dumb little conversations, like that's what made me a singer. Like he said, I, you seem like you're the singer. And so that's why I became the singer. You know, like that was well, it. First of all, first of all, I, I saw those same things that Jim saw. Uh, I saw them from day one. And again, I go back to what at that time, at that point in my life, when I needed direction, I felt like you were a fucking North star in that moment, whether you knew it or not, you know, and, you know, the, and then Jim was right. And Jim, Jim was definitely very smart and, and very much a tastemaker for a lot of us who fucking was on the, you know, on the edge of knowing what cool, what was cool and what wasn't. Totally. But yeah. one thing he did not get was Venom. And the other thing he did not get was Slayer at the point, you know, like he didn't like either. He's all, right. so I remember. So a, fast forward. Period. Yeah. So we, we were in a band for a while, you know, we finally did it. We started playing shows, the raging parties. We had, we had Tegio, we had Pittman, we had Russ, we had you and me. Yeah. And everything was going cool. And then we, and so, I got, but that's got to be, there's got to be something said about that because, you know, like Forbidden plays some shows, but then like, you know, and they're, and they're good. We're playing like rec, rec houses and we're playing, you know, some living room parties, but then we get you. And when we get you, it really does become like, it really solidifies as a, as a band to me, you know, like now you know, Noel was, Noel was never like a you know, love Noel Plogger, like shout out to Noel Plogger. He's a great dude. Killer, was a killer guitar player, but like really? he wasn't into metal. Like he wasn't into thrash and like you come in and it's fine. Like, Oh, we're, a, we're a fucking thrash band now. Like we're a fucking thrash band. Well, I, I had it, that hyper hyperactive energy for sure. And that, yeah. that lent itself right in the fucking, yeah. in the mix. And Leroy, you know, but then we were writing music. Leroy was I a mean, great guitar player too, but like, you came in and it's like we it was like oh no we can write originals now and we can like do other stuff and like you know it, was, it became so then and then because you were you were so hyper and you i always give you the credit for this like you would just have the gift of gab like you could just fucking talk to anybody and like fucking you'd be like we're gonna do a fucking house party at so-and-so's it's fucking, like i was just like how did, how did that happen you know like fucking no like i was just talking to something and then next thing you know like we're doing house parties and we do the party at jim or whatever guy, dude's name is he's yeah. got He's yeah. got the nails in the upside down cross on his bedroom door. He builds us a stage in his backyard. Do you remember this? Yeah, he yeah, yeah, a stage. yeah. And we just fucking we're playing Black Magic by Slayer and a lesson in violence and fucking you know like yeah, it was epic. Like, and we had Adolescent Revolt opening up that day. Yeah, that was a the real, real AR. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so not to be yeah, confused you, with the Authority Resist, <laughs> the other real AR. So let's fast for, fast forward a little bit to to talk about uh, kind of. So once once the hyperactivity kind of dies down a little bit and we start writing music, this is when you uh you you had written Legions of Death. I think you started writing it and we finished, but we buttoned it up when I joined the band. We finally had a fucking song. That was your song. And then the first song we actually wrote together was Forbidden Evil because we were just you're just taking riffs. You're just like you're doing that Egypt has fallen thing, and you're just like, here, da, 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 da. we just stacked a bunch of fucking riffs together on that one. And uh, that that was like to me, dude. Like I listen to that song now. I'm like, how fucking advanced. And I think that's really kind of that. And, and of course, you, Chalice of Blood came later. Which when right. when you had written that, it was so slow compared to what it ended up being. I remember like you had that riff, and I was like, dude, this is fucking incredible. But it was like that. It was nothing. I think it was all Nothing. dependent. It was all dependent on how fast Jim could play it. <laughs> you know, so but even you, I could play you, it at whatever tempo. Fast at that point, not yet. No, that, that okay. came later. We didn't. We couldn't play that song because it was incredibly 
it was hard, dude. That's like, hard I show people to this day. No, that's, it's, it's a it's, fucking it's, hard song even now. Yeah. It, yeah. It wasn't meant to be roll quite that fast at that time. Cause I don't think you, you fingers could even go there. It's just, it was when we tried to have Jim learn the song, this is the funny thing. I, I just remember like, you got so frustrated. You're all fuck dude. Like, is there any way you could fucking play the double bass to play this song? And then he says, oh, I'll ask my cousin, Paul, he'll teach me how. Mm. faithful words no geez. paul bostaff was his cousin and paul never had played thrash metal in his life but he liked deep purple and he and ian pace was his guy he liked rush so all, too big rush fan you know big neil pert dude but neil pert never did dig it to get to get like he, no. he his double bass influence was literally cozy powell and right right oh, okay i see what you're saying yeah. so it it, it 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 and then he was teaching him and i just that's another fucking crystal clear memory i got in my head we're watching him in our studio show him how to play it. And we had that little rehearsal place behind our, what's what turned into RHL in Fremont where Todd was at, you know, all this year. Fast and furious. No, we were in RHL. It was RHL that plus two, those little roll up doors behind fast and furious. That were there. Oh, right, 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 right. So we're, we're in there like on a Friday night with hell of people around. He's trying to teach him how to do it. Right. He's like trying to show him double bases. Oh, well, this is what Ian Pace would do. And I just look at you and you look at me and we're like, and then I think we looked at Russ. Like, well, I guess that's our new drummer then. <laughs> it's like, so you know, and then it's so ruthless and cold. Like to say it, to say it fun. now, but we were just like, fuck it, like we gotta go, we gotta fucking, you know. I gotta say the fucking funniest thing about it. I mean, looking back at it, it's funny because because, uh, but when it happened, dude, fucking Jim was so livid at me. He's like, he's looked at me. He's like, you did this. I'm like, I didn't fucking do this, bro. He's like, well, he figured that his life fucking fell apart when Craig joined because he's hella evil. Because he was a Craig, I said, hella evil venom and fucking slayer, you know. But he, I remember he was like, he just did not vibe on me because because of that. And then he then he didn't. I I literally watched him look around the room. Can't be mad at fucking Rob. He's my best friend. Can't be mad at Russ. He's that fucking new singer. John Tego, no one's mad. Craig, fuck you. I'm like. I didn't do it, man. I didn't do it, dude. It wasn't me. And then fucking, of course, for years, he held against me. Years. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you knew. I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but he did threaten to sue me over the name. At yeah, you time. told me just about yeah. a year ago. I, yeah, told, I, years I ago, told you I later. Like, really? Yeah. yeah. I actually forgot about it. And, you know, like, you know, like I think about that time, too. And we were just like, you know, we're all. You know, I mean, you mentioned that there's like, we're at a party. Like that was what we, we would rehearse and a, a rehearsal would be like a party. We would literally invite every fucking dude and girl we know. And like, we'd just buy shit tons of beer and then we'd rehearse and people would watch us. And that was what rehearsals were. Like it was never sober. We're like doing fucking, at this point we're doing crank. We're fucking oh, yeah. drinking, you know, vodka and whiskey and staying up till fucking God knows how fucking late. On a school night for me. Honest, yeah, on a school night, yeah, for you. Sometimes, you know, I, th I was graduated, I think, at that point. Yeah, you just graduated, so yeah. I was, yeah. This is this was, it was my insane, education. Though. It was fucking insane, you know, like it, it was, was insane. fucking insane. And Jim was never, you know, Jim was never that much of a partier, which was, you no. know, he partied a little bit, but you know, he, he a little was, a little forty ouncer. He'd have, he'd have a little diabetic, so he couldn't really drink that much. And then we just got into fucking drugs and coke and speed and fucking. He was not into that at all. 
you know, and we, you know, we kind of went our separate ways because of that too. You know, like we just became like super immersed in like drug culture and like, he was just not into it. Like he wasn't, you know, I remember him, no. you know, him and well, I like drifted apart and he was mad at me cause he was just like, what the fuck dude? Like you're changing. Like you're fucking like, you're just, all you do is drugs now and fucking, you know, and I was just like at the time. Well, you I did was, change. You did change. And it was, it was, it was looking back at it now. It was a, it was a change that needed to happen. You know, I remember, uh, I mean, see, this is like shit. Dude. This is great. We're actually talking about this because I remember like you were you were a little introverted. You were a little shy, and then yeah, I remember you get your first real girlfriend. I, I what was that girl's name? She was really tall, yeah. Liette or yeah, Liette yeah, or yeah, yeah. It's whatever she was. But when you got her, I watched you like for within two days, dude. You're like you're getting laid, and you're like yeah, like <laughs> this is. And then you wore that scumby shirt around a lot. Like, you know, yeah, like I found me and me is fucking cool. And you were fucking cool, dude. You were cool. It was, I was like, what happened to Rob? Like, you know, it's different. I got to say, like, as much as I don't want to, I don't want to like, <laughs> you know, I don't want to give speed. I don't want to romanticize methamphetamines, <laughs> you know, no. like, I really don't. And I don't want to, you know, but for me personally, methamphetamines really brought me out of like this introverted like you know i couldn't talk to people i couldn't be social like it was very hard for me to make friends you know and speed like next thing i know like i can talk to anybody anywhere like i'm just like bah, dah, dah, dah. like i was a fucking maniac and i fucking loved it i was just like where has this been all my life and you know like then i get a fucking girlfriend because i'm fucking you know talking i'm just like it really um you know it did like you know for for a very short time it like helped me find something in myself that you know that i couldn't you know i don't know if i, I know exactly found, what you I mean don't know if I, I don't know if i would have found it without it and then I know exactly what you mean it and then sense. i became super dependent on it and then i was completely addicted to it like all i right. had to do speed all the fucking time and then you know my life went fucking haywire <laughs> but but for just a short period of time it kind of helped me realize that i could be this other you know like i didn't have to be quiet or i didn't have, like i could say what i was thinking or you know whatever you know like whatever it was well yeah no i, I watched i watched all that happen and i was going through it myself obviously but i was never very shy as you know you no. know um, no, you always had, that's, that's why I say, like, you always had the gift of gap. Like, you could fucking, you know, you were the dude, you know, I always give you credit. Like, you were the, like, if it wasn't for you, we never would have played Ruthie's in. You know, we had. Well, we probably would have played, but I got us in there earlier. <laughs> yeah. I got us, I just I had mean, the balls to walk I, into Wes's office. But see, that's what I mean. Like, Jim and, Jim Pittman and Leroy and I had gone to Ruthie's in so many times you know we had seen possessed there you know leroy leroy had a crush on mike toreo from possessed like total man crush like he just his hair like he wear the same clothes like he fucking worshipped i remember and like we went there a million times and dude in none of those times did we ever once talk to wes ever i, I don't i probably never ever would have talked to to wes and we're, and we're talking point. about wes robinson guys yeah, wes robinson, and, uh, owner of ruthie's inn well, not owner. He was just the or, guy who brought in like, shows. Yeah, brought in shows. He seemed like the owner to us because that's what that's our kid point of view was like. He right. runs this place. Really, he was a guy who had it on the weekends, you right. know. And, and once in a while, we get a weekday show. Yeah. But uh, Wes was a huge influence on all of us um, because he because his jazz background 
you know, being like black musicians and jazz and people being so fucking, you know, chancy and, and, right. and taking chances with their music. He thought that thrash metal was the new jazz. He's right. like, because to him, it's, it just looked like chaos. He didn't realize there was real structure to it, maybe until later on. But he welcomed all of us in. And I just walked in his office one day and fucking said, dude, like, hey, man, you know, you should book our band. Well, what's your band? Forbidden Evil is, oh, it's a cool name, you know. Like, so we ended up, he ended up giving us, uh, the metal church show the day before they played with Metallica and Exodus and um, right. who's Metallica Exodus. And yeah. Who was that? Who, Megadeth. Megadeth. Was Megadeth and show. Exodus. Yeah. They played. So we played the 30th and then they it played was, New Year's metal Eve. Metal church. Master of Puppets. Exodus. No. Metal church. Megadeth. Exodus. Metallica. Right. New Year's Eve. Right. 85. 85 going in 86 and yes. Metallica was about to drop master of puppets. Yes. So, they, so people were hearing those songs for the first time, Seriously. but we played with metal church the night before and there was fucking nobody there. Like it was like, I remember watching them and there's people standing on the sides of the walls. Cause fucking the singer came out with bleach blonde hair and then everyone's like, no, like they're just like, no, but they were great. I mean, they I, rem- were fucking- Dude, I remember when you, when you told me that you got us into Ruthie's in, I was fucking stunned. I was like, Oh my God. Like, that's crazy. Like it was just like, Holy shit. And I was 15. I, I, I might've been 16. I, I like, might've been 16. Like, at that time. I was like, Greg can talk to anybody. Like it's crazy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, like, that's how, that's that's how that's I mean. like we had been there a bunch yeah. of times. I had never, I probably never would have talked to Wes. Uh, you know, ever like we, you know, if it was just on me at that point, like we may have never ended up even playing a show at Ruthie's Inn. you know, like that to me was just like, it totally showed me like, wow, like you just got to go out there and fucking hustle it, you know? And that's what you do. And that's what Craig is doing for us. You know, and we got that show. I mean, I'm, I would imagine you knew that we were being recorded for the Eastern front that night. No, I, I didn't know that. No. <laughs> I, no, had no no, I didn't know. I didn't know. I had no idea. And we in the song "Marching to Fire," we had just written that. That was like my first song I really brought in, right? Yeah. And we had never finished it. It didn't have words. Right. I, I remember. I remember after the show, I fucking wrote words at school on my fucking thing. I remember showing it to you. But like, we didn't. That was the first lyrics I ever wrote. Yeah. Never stopped since. But I remember. Yeah. So, but you so know, you know why I had that show? To do oh my god, them? I did so much speed before that show. I was literally ah. like, fuck. I had white patch. I could feel my mouth, my tongue just turned into a piece of leather. Like halfway through the show, I was like, Jesus Christ, I need some water. Yeah, we were we were very green at that point. But uh, but I had confidence, dude, because the band. I mean, like, look who I was playing with. To me, it was with you and Russ. We were unbeatable. Like in my head, in the time, like. I could never find anybody better than this. Like there'll never be anyone better than these two. And, you know, then obviously years go on and we start adding people, but you know, the, uh, to me, like we, we were the, even before we knew what we were doing, I felt like with Russ, you just had this unlimited potential. Right. It was also the same thing that would have held us back in certain instances. If you didn't, you know, have the musicianship to fucking match it. Right. So that's what we ended up turning into years later when we, we were a fucking patchwork mess, you know, while you were in the band, but you, you were fucking still writing great shit. And, uh, as good as dead was the last song we wrote together. And then that's when you left. Yeah. And, and, and you know, we, they had, could, we had Paul in that at, at that point. Yeah. Paul then, was, right? Paul yeah. was in the band and Matt Camacho. Yeah. And, 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 and Matt was like, so, got rid so of John when Jim was still in the band, right? No, Jim first, first, no, it went Jim. Oh, right. You're right. Then, then, then we realized we have such a great drummer. We're gonna need to fucking match it. John Tay is one of the best dudes ever. I he still is. I hang out with him John. a lot. He's see him, yeah, see him at sporting events and whatever. So, but yeah, so you know, the, 
we needed we, we thought we needed somebody that was going to be you know more uh to our level of talent so we got macamacho and then we realized huh he wasn't really ready but he looked cool he's <laughs> got <laughs> <That> great hair <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now matt's an incredible bass player it's yeah. fucking wild how good he is now but yeah but back then we're like oh boy you know what do we get ourselves into and i remember that was one of the points of contention for you you're like dude i thought this guy was gonna be good I'm like well he will be yeah. one day you know like we did but he was cool as fuck and he looked cool you know and it, dude just and nothing for nothing now you had to have heard the story later on about the the, the perry and jerry coming to my house before you fucking joined the band right i don't know about this oh god this is gonna perry, be great perry, to actually jerry be burr the original singer for jerry violence? burr and perry dude, oh, okay. a month before you joined the band what they really? fucking knock on my door and my mom my mom's like hey you have two friends here perry and jerry i'm like how do they know where I live? For everybody who's listening, Jerry, Jerry Burr is the singer prior to Sean Killian, who would later become like, you know, the famous violence singer, Sean Killian. But Jerry Burr was the original singer that they had, you know, a lot of those songs with, you know, Serial Killer and other stuff. It's called other things, but, you know. And Serial Killer, I, yeah. Better uh, Slut, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, all that stuff. So anyway, so they fucking walk back. You remember where my room was. So they walk back to the hallway and walk into my room and they fucking, come into your house. Wow. Yeah, dude. I'm, I'm sitting down on my bed. You know them? I knew them. Well, yeah, we used to rehearse like, yeah, next to them. Were, in our, right. At the same area. Right. In you know, we played shows together. We were actually, we were good friends at that point. We were all like, we hung out a lot. We did a lot of, you know? Okay. So we, we were, we, we smoked weed. So they come in and fucking sit down in my room and or actually, no, I was sitting on my bed and they were talking to me and they're like, yeah, dude, you know, uh, we decided we, uh, we want you to be in the band. I'm like, what? Why? Like, no, you don't. I mean, I, I literally said, no, you don't. I'm like, why don't you ask Rob? Like, I, I didn't think you would say yes either. I was like, why don't you ask Rob? I'm not really that kind of like, cause I was all metal, you know, metal, metal. Like I wasn't, I didn't have that kind of like that, that thing that I thought they were looking at. They're all, and this is the exact quote, dude. And it, this is a uh, uh, Perry Strickland says it's cause you're violence material. I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck? So, he, so th- this this goes into the Your backstory, dude, of why when you did join the band and all that led into it, that I was like, oh, what just happened? Like, I would, you know, I was like, so you if you didn't know, you need to know that. Yeah. And we've talked I never about knew this. this. I've never heard this. Yeah, Perry me. Perry brought it up to me years later, and because I brought it up, and then one time I ran into Phil at a club. He's all, you know, that never happened, right? I'm like. What are you talking about? I was living. That's my life. That did happen, but there's no chance of me saying yes at the time. I would have never done it. But but I got to say, it all worked out exactly how it should have. I feel like everything about that prepared me. Phil denies that it happened. Yeah, Phil. Well, because he wasn't there, and I do believe this much. But Dill Perry told me, "Oh, he knows. Don't let him tell you." He told me that on the side, but I don't fucking know. That's inner workings. But I knew. I do know that Perry ran rogue a lot like he was rogue and he probably perry, did it on his a own, lot of people you know? probably don't realize this you know from the outside but perry was kind of the leader of the band you know he was the he was the original well, he was the oldest one yeah he was, he was the oldest, oldest guy yeah he was the one who can you know he had a fucking job you know he was like he kind of ran the band you know like more than people realized especially back then he did he did and he and he wasn't he was, he, he was, was the ball buster. He was the ball buster. He was a handful. Yeah. I mean, he was like fucking super hyper, you know, like just fucking. Yeah. Well, for and a, and an incredible fucking fast handed drummer, you know? Yeah. But anyway, we were friends. And so, so that's funny because it must've been, you know, they would have had to have changed 
singers, you know, they get rid of Jerry and then they get Sean. Yes. You know, it all then, happened within a, it all happened within a month, dude. Like maybe no. two months, maybe, maybe two months. I don't but think, they, I think it was longer than that. It was really well, time flies when you're older and you're looking back at it, but it, it was very condensed amount of time. And uh and I'd forgotten about it. I had just forgotten about it. And and you know, it it I was just like, no, no, thank you. Didn't think of anything much about it. It's like that's cool. I mean, you know, we're still good friends. Oh, mm-hmm. the one of the things they said is like, you got a Dave Mustaine uh, quality to you. I'm like, what am I an asshole? <laughs> <laughs> it's like I kind of was an asshole. Very arrogant kid and fucking mouthy. So I mean, you know, it just kind of flew under the radar. So then when you finally do join the band, I'm just like, that's why I was like flabbergasted in in not a good way because I was like, what the fuck just happened? So I, my reaction was very very immature. And I was immature. I was fucking, you know, 16 years old. Definitely not over 16 I, at that I time. I believe it was Perry. I'm, I'm, I'm certain. I can't remember if it was Phil. I don't think it was Phil, but I do know it was Perry for sure. And maybe somebody else who approached me originally about joining the band. Well, you know, I mean, that, that it, history would have never been what it is if it had I fucking done yeah. that. Yeah. It would have been. That's what you know, I mean when I say like Perry was kind of the driving force, you know, like he, it yeah. wasn't Phil who approached me. It wasn't Sean. It was Perry, <laughs> the drummer who approached me. It was just like, dude, like fucking. Blah, 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 blah. Well, Phil, Phil, Phil's yeah. tried to deny, deny it happened a few different occasions and Perry always pops in on the side. Of, oh, it happened, you know, <laughs> but it's, it, it's, it's not a big deal, but it, you got to look back at those things. Like you can't, for me, you can never omit history like you never you know you can't deny the things that happened you have to learn from them and i've learned so much from my mistakes dude i've learned so much like if i didn't fucking acknowledge the things i fucked up on then what what the fuck good is it you know yeah and that was a good decision i mean it was because you ended up in the right fucking place is what i'm really trying to say you ended up in the right place i mean we compared you to do what you all ended up in the place we needed to go yeah you know and it was hard i mean i remember i remember too like i was kind of a dick about it when I quit and I know you were really upset. And then I went, I remember at the first violence practice, they practiced in Hayward in some like a uh, place where uh, it was like a rehearsal studio with other bands re- rehearsing there. And uh, I stole chalice of blood. <laughs> Do you remember this? You didn't steal it. I, 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 I brought chalice of blood. And I said, Hey, I'm going to take chalice of blood, you know, cause of my songs. I was like, I'm going to take chalice of blood and we can make a new song out of it. And I don't know if you knew, know this, but the original, Calling in the corner lyrics were written to Chalice of Blood. Music. I do know so this. I was like, yeah. I was gonna do. So I was just like, yes, yeah, so we wrote, we jamming that, and it was like, calling in the corner, corner, corner. such corner. a twisted. <laughs> oh, you are, did you are like all in backing vocals, <laughs> and I remember jamming it. And Sean, you know, Sean was like, you know, at this point, I was probably just so used to hearing Russ sing it anyway that I was just like. Yeah, I don't know if this is better than Chalice. In my head, I'm saying this to myself. Like, I don't know if this... And then you come over, and, you know, maybe it'd be great to hear your perspective of this, but, like, you come to the place in Hayward, and I guess you catch wind that we're taking Chalice of Blood, and you come over and you confront me, like, in a rehearsal, and, like, you're like, dude, like, come, I need to talk to you, man. Like, we go out, like, we start arguing, and, like, both, you know, we're both upset and crying and, like, all this stuff, and finally, like, I'm just like, all right, you can fucking take Chalice of Blood. (laughs) fucking because because in in part of my part of it was just to like shut you up but part of it was just because like i know it's actually going to be better if it just stays as chalice of blood 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's like two different fucking schools of thought in this bands, right. really. I mean, I mean tell me, tell me, your, you, tell me your, what's your, tell me your side of that. You know, like this is how I'm remembering. Well, I, I remember hearing it. I don't hear something. I barely remember fucking confronting you on it. I just remember going, "Are you fucking serious?" Because I couldn't imagine, in my mind, I couldn't imagine those guys playing that song or or Sean singing it. That that was like, I just couldn't imagine it. And plus, we had finally gotten to the point where Paul. Because like I said, originally when we wrote it, it was fucking a struggle to play. And right. then with Paul, we just like, we ramped it up to like almost as fast as it got after you left. And then after you left, when everybody was fucking kind of pissed, it went, this ramped up to another level. And we were just like, I just can't imagine anyone else fucking doing it. So for me, I was probably just like fighting for, I don't even know what I was fighting for at that point. Well, you, yeah, I mean, I just, a part I was, of it was like was you, were trying, you were trying so to get me to come. Yeah, you were bad. You were trying to get me to come back. You know, like we we went into all of that too. It wasn't just about the song. It was about like, you know, me quitting and like all this stuff. And so, you know, just what's going to happen and all this stuff. And I was just like, well, wow, dude, you're a huge influence. You're a big part of my life, Rob. You're a big part of my life. And, and you know, I was I was rudderless. And I, I've, I've talked about this many times. I at the point where you quit, all of a sudden I'm, I'm left to, to be the man to figure out because no one else is writing music. So then I had to figure out what am I going to write? How am I going to write? Who am I going to write it with? Right. So I'm like, holy shit. So I, you not only had the, you know, the flotsam and jetsam of everything else, but you had this kid who didn't understand how to be a leader, uh, you know, because you were the leader to me. Um, and I was just really, really lost. And yeah, it took me a little bit you know getting glenn was one thing because glenn could shred but he came from a glam band so totally. he wasn't yeah. even in a band he's just a glam shredder yeah you know and he i was would like, like yeah like but he fucking shred he's play like he's fucking school. amazing shredder amazing shredder with yeah, his he, tiger stripe guitar <laughs> yeah he was, he was like yeah we went yeah he had the well he had the fucking eddie van halen guitar tiger stripe guitar okay, okay, and, like, yeah. all that shit but uh you know you he never played thrash metal. Never. Yeah. So when we fucking started writing, I don't want to say he was a poser. Well. He wasn't a poser, but he was like, you know, he was not a thrash. He was not into thrash. No, Glenn. Glenn, he Glenn was a lot of things, but he wasn't a poser. He really was the rocker dude. Who yeah, like Van Halen. Worship. Yeah, Van. Like Halen. they worshipped him, dude. Yeah. And when I went to Washington High School, he was, he was my a first time I saw Glenn. He was a killer guitar player. Dude, when I when I first met him, he was wearing. He was hanging out with all the Mexicans, and and well, he's Mexican. But he was hanging out with all the Mexicans wearing their shit and had the bouffant hair that fucking went back, oh, you know, shit. like the okay. whole comb back or, you know, ponytail and breakdancing better than everybody else in the entire school. Oh, damn. You know, hey, what's up, Ace? Everyone loved Ace. He's like, Ace, Ace, what's up, Ace? So he fucking saw us play Washington and he was like, whoa, those guys are you fucking saw us play Washington? interesting. Yeah, when we played Washington okay. High School, yeah, he was like, "Whoa, you know, they're pretty fucking interesting." That was that was so, that was worth, that's worth talking about just because that was a fucking crap. That was an awesome show. For I mean, we had probably the first fucking circle pit in a high school. <laughs> you know, like it was crazy. It was the first circle pit that anyone's ever seen in in the city of Fremont. Okay, yeah. so we got to paint a picture here. So I again, my talking skills come into play. So they have meetings, like council meetings, once a week at lunchtime and I walk into one of them and because I, I said, I'm going to get us a gig at the high school. I told you guys, and you're all, okay, good luck with that. That'll be fucking fun. Like, oh, I'll get, I've seen a band play there. We could do it. So I walk in there and I'm like, so, you know, I got a band and we're like heavy metal and I want to play it, uh, you know, at lunch. And they're like, Oh, okay. What's your band's name? Forbidden evil. They're like, Oh, like, no, like forbidding evil. And they're like, Oh, yeah, he's like trying to like, I'm framing it. You know, like, yeah. so, <laughs> 
we fucking go. I remember, dude. And this is, dude, this, these are memories that I'll never. So people fucking are already hearing about us at parties and they're seeing us at parties from time to time. So we've already got a bit of a reputation as being a, a band that'll destroy a house. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, literally, we get up, like literally yeah, and figuratively. What, yeah, I don't remember what song we played first. It might have been Black Magic. I might have just, went, like you know, that, just yeah, walked yeah, up, started yeah. doing Black Magic. Yeah. And then uh, as soon as we fucking kick in, we have we have people, we have punk rockers from fucking every school in the Fremont School District there. We have, you know, the certain people come from out of town there. They all fucking were, and they just started pitting as soon as we fucking started. And I don't think we got through four songs before the wrestling coach, both wrestling coaches were in the middle of the melee, Mr. Mangini and Mr. French. They were fucking grabbing kids and putting them in full Nelsons oh my and God. pushing them off to the other side. <laughs> I was like, whoa, I was like looking down. I was like, this is amazing. Like, oh my God, I got in so much trouble. I mean, they didn't, they couldn't suspend me because they allowed me to play. We didn't do anything really wrong. Right. It was just all these kids fucking. Right. The reaction of the audience bit. that we couldn't control. And, you know, it reminds me of like, uh, I was compared to uh, what, who's the Russian composer that you did. Uh, is it Stravinsky or there's a Russian composer that when he used to play, the music made people fucking lose their minds and they went into madness like because of the modes he played and they never heard. It was like, it was like metal in its time. Okay. They did the women would go, ah, they just like, that's what it was like in Fremont. The suburbs had never seen this before. And here we are playing hella fast. Other people's song. I think we played Legions of Death and Egypt. We got through both yes. of those, I think. Yes, we did. We didn't get very far. No, we didn't get very far. I think, I mean, that was, how long with lunch? You know, like it, it was, it was enough. They were like, okay, that's it. <laughs> but they made a little, like makeshift, we had a little makeshift stage. We had a little, little makeshift PA. I think I was still playing out of my PA for yeah, they had a stage. They pull out. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have an amp. I didn't have an amp. The, the I, played out, I, played out of a, I played out of a PA speaker that I ran a distortion, an MXR distortion plus and a boss super overdrive to get a, distortion. You had Russ's speaker. You had Russ's, right, was Russ's, you had Russ's PA speakers. Right. <laughs> That's my amp. And you had a Roland, your old Roland PA head that you ran. And I was running a crate, quarter yeah. stack. You actually had an amp a crate. though. You had, an, then, you had a guitar amp. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah, it was a Barely. It sounded like shit. But yeah, it was fucking bad. Actually, your, your fucking PA speaker sounded pretty good. I, I was thought that sounded good. But it's in the hands, man. I learned later. It's always in the hands, right? But, you know, f- uh, what happened after that was I was fucking a kingpin at school, dude. I I was like, from that point on, I was fucking, school life was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the chicks was, the, it came easy. I, everything was like, yeah, fucking yeah, Greg's that dude. The, I got to say, the chicks always came easy The chicks always came easy moment in my life. The chicks always came easy. I wasn't really popular until then. Yeah. You know? And then all of a sudden you're that dude who had the fucking band that played the school or fucking there's riot. Right. So that, that had, that was a good, that was a good thing for me. And we played your school too. Right. The, and it was not the same reaction. Uh, I don't know about that. It wasn't I don't that know good. about that. It was, I was uh, awkward too, dude. I went to, it was just like band. a weird, it was just a weird, uh, we not forbidden didn't play your school, the school. Somebody else did. Right. Wasn't that like an, no earlier? forbidden evil, forbidden evil played American high. You too. With you? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was where Leroy broke it. Leroy broke not Leroy. Lenny broke his leg that day. Okay. He oh, jumped right, off the right, stage right. and fucking right. Yeah. No, yeah, that, that was, yeah. I'm thinking, I'm, thinking of an, I'm thinking of the uh, the the uh, the Mike Johnson show. That's what I was thinking of. 
That I was, was there for that, but that yeah, was okay. I, was, I was there for that one. That was a that good was one. After yes, you're right. We did play American High. I forgot about that. That was a rager. Yeah, Lenny broke his leg. Lenny was Lenny was the cousin of Leroy Mendez, who was a fucking skating phenomenon. Honestly, like the dude was like he his mind was he's the only person I've ever known in my life whose mind was literally wired to skateboard. Like, he was so fucking good, you know. Like he was just ridiculous. Yeah, he comes. He's he's a boneless ones fan. Oh yeah, of course he loves the boneless ones, right? right? Yeah, yeah. He comes out and sees us. Yeah, he was. I see so Lenny from time naturally to time. gifted at skateboarding. It was just fucking insane, you know. Like, and he was always at the early things. I remember. Okay, I remember he that. was. I forgot about that. Well, I totally forgot about. So that. the origin stories are always great. Yeah, those those are always fun. And, uh, and, and we play, like, we play very, when, very when we play memories. Washington. It's with Jim Pittman. When we play American, is it is it also with Jim Jim Pittman? Yeah, Jim Pim has only played the high school shows with us. Okay. Any high school show yeah, we played. Uh, I, later on, I played. Uh, yeah, I played Robertson with with Glenn, and that okay. wasn't that wasn't as cool. After you left, I was like, we're playing in like a fucking very very echoey, bouncy, multi-purpose fucking lunchroom. Yeah, gotcha. so like that sucked. That yeah. wasn't nearly as good. Like the th- the thrill of playing high school was long gone by then. <laughs> Yeah, but after 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 but I'm yeah, gone, after it. I'm gone, you definitely like pick up the reins and like you know you definitely don't stop. If anything, you you're now, you know, once you get Glenn, you're more. I think I think you're more ahead of violence in some ways because like you were just so fucking like determined to get out there and do it. You know, now pretty soon it was like Forbidden was on every fucking show and like we were just like we got to get some more shows man like they're everywhere <laughs> like i remember talking like having conversations oh dude no we're definitely ahead at the start of it you had a head start because we had yeah yeah but still it was what like ha- well I, I just remember happened? as far as like shows i just remember as like far as like getting shows and like the presence and then it becomes a little bit of a rivalry because now like you know there's a little bit of this violence forbidden rivalry, which I think in many ways is positive and drives us, you know, because now we like we're competing to get shows and like, you know, sometimes we win and sometimes you win. Well, to, 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 to put a fine point on that, you know, obviously we were driven as fuck, but so were you guys, you guys were, you guys were, you guys were specifically driven to fucking put your boot down on us. Yeah. Like at that point, not necessarily just you, but the guys in the band, yeah. like, we got to fucking crush them. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, was, and I was like trying to be, I was actually trying to be nice about it. And I was like, I know, you know, and then the other guys in the band are really nice. So I would be the only one who would really talk any shit because the other guys were so nice, right. but there was so much shit being talked back and forth back then. And I was like, well, I guess I got to be the one fucking guy to say something because no one else is going to say anything, you know? So we had that going on, but that did drive us to be better. But once we got Debbie Avano to manage us, uh, that was another one of my called, Phone calls, cold called her, you know, like Wes gave me your number and I fucking called and I said, you West should did? really Wes Robinson been. gives you her yeah. number? Okay. Yep. Yep. And then she's all, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm not really, you know, I'm not looking to do this again. I did it one time, but yeah. but I had her come see us. And Debbie Abono, for everybody listening, for everybody not familiar, Debbie Abono was the manager of the band Possessed and they had kind of like had their heyday with seven churches and they were kind of like kind of ending and, you know, she was total stalwart of the scene i mean she was just she was like the mom of the scene people would go back after thrash shows and party at her house and you know like she was yeah no she was she was she was a big presence i remember when we went and saw possessed at, uh, at babuhe she was there 
Right. Uh, and we were staying, we walked backstage because they didn't stop anybody. We're standing next to her. Much. Like, she's a legend, you know, like, wow. And she was a legend even back then before she became what she, be- after she managed forbidden and violence. Cause <laughs> see, that's the thing. She started managing forbidden evil. Yeah. And then as soon as that you guys heard that she was managing forbidden evil, you said fucking Joe Houston with marching orders. You've got to get her too. And I remember the day she told us. So, yeah, so Joey Houston already manages violence when I join violence. He's their man. Yeah, you, just, you guys just needed more firepower. We did. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why we felt we needed Debbie Abono. And I don't, because I, we had her. I don't even remember if Joey was okay with that. <laughs> because I can't imagine Joey being okay with that. No, he, he was hesitant. And I've talked about it with him later. Like, but, you know. Is you guys sent her? You guys sent him in with marching order. You have to you get that. We have to have her too. We can't have them having her. You know, just being the only one. So right. then, literally, like I remember, she was managing us when things were starting to go good. We're getting good gigs, and then she's like, "Well, I had a meeting today with Joey Houston." I'm just like, I remember being at her house. I'm like, "You did what?" So I don't trust him as far as I can throw him, but I think <laughs> that if we're together, and you guys got to all, so you guys all got to learn how to get along. I'm like, oh. So, I'm like, so this is a done deal. I'm like, this is just, you're going to manage. You do realize oh what you're God. getting yourself into. So right, right. you guys got to grow up. I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go. man. Competitive. Like we were already competitive. And that's like, we're like dit, 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 dit. but it drove us to be, it drove us to be great. We you, both bands ended up being great because of so many reasons. And I wouldn't change a fucking thing about it, dude. It's, like people think, oh, the Bay Area, you know, you guys all fucking kumbaya, y'all get along great. Well, no. we do now because everyone's yeah. smarter now. We get along and, better and now. Older, and older, yeah. Everyone's smarter and older. And I think that there's a sense of like if you live through all that shit that, that when everybody sees each other, there's like a, a subliminal kind of sub sub frequency to like we did this together. We went through this together. We've all seen it. And I don't think anyone has to say it. I'm saying it now. but Right. So it's cooler now. But back then, there was like a lot of like, you know, everyone's like trying to fucking, you know, one up each other. But I remember both. And the scene was a lot smaller than I think people realize, you know, like there wasn't that many bands, you know, like there was not one, not, not up to, not up to this point. Right. It all started really after this when all the baby bands started popping up. Yeah, because Forbidden was on the second wave anyway, or, or I, the, I the very get, back of the second I wave. Get, I always consider Forbidden the third wave. I consider the front of, it was either the front of the Forbidden third to me was or the, the third wave. Yeah. Well, we were there for to me the, we were there to me, for the, the back of the front wave. Metallica, Megadeth, you know, Me- Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth. That's first, yeah. That's first wave. Second wave was Death Angel Testament. You know, like that to me was the second. Right. Wave. Those bands got the jump on us. You know, both our records came out in '88. Like. You know, Metallica's on and Justice for All, Slayer's on South to Heaven. So to me, it was like, that was pretty late. I mean, it doesn't seem like a long time. 83 to 88, you know, that's when Kill 'em All and Show No Mercy comes out. But fi- a lot had happened in five years, you know. Yeah, I think because we were a part of it, like just being there for the, like, you I, know, I mean, I bought Kill 'em All the day it came out. So I consider myself being a, not maybe the front of the back of the front wave anyway, at least being a participant and right. fucking youngest i might have been only andy galleon was younger than me right. as far as i know mm-hmm. like we were the two youngest fucking kids playing these clubs yeah and andy i never really thought so of myself weird. as young andy was so i mean andy's 13 putting out that first album which is fucking insane <laughs> yeah we, we're touring europe together he hadn't even turned 18 yet yeah you know like so but but anyways so all that all that good shit all that competitive nature ended up sharpening steel 
to a level that no other scenes ever fucking had before, except for maybe the New York hardcore scene, you know, way back in fucking the eighties. I just don't, or early eighties. I just don't see anybody ever having fucking had so much. I mean, no, no two bands have more drama than forbidden violence. I mean, we had so much fucking drama. I remember getting, I remember Metallica and Megadeth. I remember going, drama. <laughs> yeah, that's a bigger, you know, that is bigger drama. Yeah. But I think that their drama didn't, didn't spill into parties and everywhere. At, there right. was more on the press. Right. You know right, what I mean? Right, right. But I remember going to a party, dude, and it was, you guys are playing some house party out outdoors in Castro Valley. And I just show up and then fucking, they stop the show. They're all, he's got to go. Oh, geez. Like, what? I'm like, what? What? Yeah. He's got to get the fuck out of here. And it was all over Mark Murhill. Remember those parties that with Murhill and, and, right. and uh, Jimbo had at their house? Yes. yes. He had some pieces of his drums stolen or something. And oh, somebody Perry. told oh, them that Perry. I said that fucking, but that Perry did it. I was like, I didn't fucking, well, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm getting like singled out and fucking shoved out of a party. And I thought that was like, I'm like, this is really getting out of hand. Yeah. Well, I was lame. mouthy. Dude. That's I'm pretty fucking gonna, lame. I'm not going to pretend I didn't deserve a lot of the grief that's, that I got. I you know what? That's fucking lame. I, my mouth was out ahead of, ahead of my ability. Yeah. Well, it is now. We, we did. We did call you Craig foot in mouth La Cicero. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 which I did a lot. One foot, one foot in mouth probably. But, but yeah, I mean, I did that you know, much until I didn't really grow up, dude. I mean, we can go years ahead. I mean, we were all 18 and 19. We were just fucking wired high to Jesus on speed and stoned and drunk. But I was two years younger than most of you on top of that. Yeah. You know, so I I had this. Yeah. I mean, those guys were older than me by a couple of years. I was, I think Dean and I were the youngest dudes in violence. So, yeah. So yeah, I was, I was out ahead of, I was, what do you really say you're, something about your skis like I, I was ahead of my skis or something you know there's okay. whatever term that is i just always was and um you know eventually we fucking did forbidden evil and uh that was when i really fucking started hitting my stride more yeah but when we got glenn out of the band that's when i really glenn's, fucking glenn's, hit my stride glenn's on the first record though glenn plays on the first record right glenn, glenn does all the shred on the first record we, okay. we took pieces of things that he wrote that, and and made them like the middle of eyes of glass was like a really slow instrumental he had just that middle section and then we ended up fitting that between two things that paul and i had written like so it's like little things like that but glenn and i did write some great shit together on a pile of cocaine he i remember he fucking first time we wrote stuff i was like showing him how to how fast they play and what to do he's a hold on a second he comes in he bring, his, his dad's got fucking bags of coke like oh in the God. back room no shit and he's like bringing it out on his why fucking. Does, why does Glenn's dad going, have bags? Of, why does Glenn's dad have yeah, bags of cocaine? <laughs> because it was it was the eighties, right? And this is the only reason I got for you. So Glenn's dad was dealing cocaine. That That's crazy. Yeah, it was the first time I'd done that much blow. Right, so I fucking we're we're literally the first writing session. I'm fucking and, and I off the edge and uh, feel no pain. Parts of those songs are written right there. Okay. Like the you know the first day, so like you know it didn't take long, and then follow me. I started writing in high school, and then he had an instrumental piece that we put in the head of it. Uh, you know, so like, but I wrote that whole song in my high school class. I had a music class after you had left, so that album kind of came together in a flurry of fucking chaos. Yeah. You know, all the fighting, anger. I was such an angry guy. 
I was fucking, you know, dating so many fucking, I was just like, I was out of my mind, dude. You're a slut. And I was You're never, total, yeah, I was a total. When, back then, yeah. Is, do you get laid because of Forbidden for the first time? Or do you, are you? No, I got laid that? before that. You know, but yeah. it wasn't, you know, I know that's a question you like to ask. Now, what's the, I will say there, that, all, I'm, all I'm asking is, was there a movie or was there music in the background? And what was the music and or movie that was playing for the first time when you have sex? Okay. I call it part one and part two, first of all, because the first time, like my my parents were my parents were gone, and I was trying to make it happen so fucking fast that it was like I call it the two pumps in a quiver, you know. It was like fucking it was done. I was like nothing happened. It was silent. It was silent. I was like wow ah. But the next time, is there? Hold on, two pumps in a quiver though. Is there any? Are you playing? At war nothing by then okay it's just like, nothing because because i'm so worried about my mom and dad coming home. oh you want to be like, able to hear them come home okay yeah i was like yeah it was like this just it was a mess so but it didn't matter so the next time was real time and it was and i remember she this chick was kind of a hippie chick and she fucking had uh like all this this fucking candle of tree beard from fucking lord of the rings like lit up in her room and we listened to fucking led zeppelin for her Oh, nice! So Led Zeppelin Four was my my first Led real Zeppelin time. Four, that's, yeah. Uh, see, that's a good record. That's a good Stairway to Heaven was yeah. probably going on in the background at, the, yeah. at that moment. That's yeah. see, that's pretty good. That's a good record. I'm, I'm but I actually, mean, dude, I've actually I asked this question a lot, and I'm so surprised by how many people have Slayer on. <laughs> like, yeah, no, you'd that be all totally shocked. Later. You'd be totally shocked how many people lose their virginity to Slayer, though. Like, so many people I've asked about this. It's crazy. Well. I'm pretty sure this was before I'd ever heard Show No Mercy. You know, I, this right. is uh, might have been right around the same time. I mean, it was in my freshman year of high school. I was, okay. again, in above my skis. That's You're 13. I was way in above my skis. You're 13? 14. 14? 14. Okay. Gotcha. Right on. Way too anyway. young, dude. Anyway. My son right now is fucking like, no. <laughs> it's like, he's he's going to be 18. I'm like, it'll happen, bro. Right. It'll happen. Like, now's need a good to rush time. these things. Yeah, now's a good time. Yeah, no, it's a good time. Take me back to though. Uh, at some point, you guys get signed to Combat, and I remember that that you know you talk about the rivalry because you guys got signed first. No, right. you guys got signed. Oh, did first. we get signed first? Oh, okay. you guys got signed first. Did your record you signed a mechanic? Did your did your record come out first, or did our record? No. Okay. Gotcha. No, you okay. guys. You guys were already on tour. Like uh, you guys had done your record and already started your touring okay, cycle gotcha. when we were in the studio. All right. All right. And, and yeah, I, I remember, but I remember, uh, when you did finish your record and before, uh, I think we might, we might've just, no, we didn't. Cause we had a choice. We could have signed the mechanics too. Like we had, we had, we had capital mechanics, roadrunner, metal blade and combat. They all wanted to sound right. Yeah. And this is a very big, you know, like, wow. Like we got fucking, we got options, bro. Yeah. But we didn't, you know. Yeah, no, but I remember my, uh, Sinclair. Steve Sinclair was at Debbie's house one night at one of her parties, and I stayed overnight. And uh, I, I was I was hesitant because you guys were on that label, and I was like, I don't know, man, where are we gonna get some second fiddle? And I remember, dude, him saying something to me and Perry when Perry was at odds with me. We were he was just giving me grief all the time. Perry was Perry was extracurricular cruel to me. Like he'd say shit to me, dude, just fucked up all the time. But we're sitting there talking to him late at night. It's like everyone's kind of laughing. And Perry, and Perry and Steve Sinclair and are all Steve having Sinclair. a conversation. Okay. Late at night when we're all about to go to sleep. At Debbie's. Whoever can sleep at, at Debbie's, Debbie's, yeah. Okay. And then, and, but he goes, I goes, 
or uh, Terry goes, well, where do you see both our bands? Like, you know, I just remember the whole, like, where do you see us? You know, where do you, how do you see this playing out? He's all, and he looks right at Perry. He goes, I see you guys as being, you know, possibly the biggest uh, thrash band or club band, you know, in, in history with the biggest pits and the most violent shows that, that maybe we've ever seen. He's all, and I see you. And he points to me playing the arenas. I'm like, Oh, I didn't expect that answer at all. I was like shocked by that answer. And then Perry just looked at me and is just like, huh? (laughs) It's like, oh, huh? Like, I didn't expect that. It's not what I, but he was trying to sign us. So I feel like in that moment, there might have been a little gamesmanship going on, just trying to like get us because he already had you guys. Right. So it wasn't, it was like, but I was like, nah, yeah. That is, we're not going to go that. That's what I mean. That's what I mean when I say that, like, Perry was the driving force. I never had, I don't think I had a single conversation with Steve Sinclair. You know what I mean? Like, I, and granted, I was low on the totem pole. And, like, in violence, there was an hierarchy, you know, like, and I was at the bottom, you know, clearly and reminded on a regular basis, you know, like, he was the guy who would have been talking to the label guy, you know, like, even more so than Phil. You know, Phil, to agree, would have also. But, you know, like it would have been Perry. So that's not surprising that that conversation happens. You know, like, yeah, it was it was it was it was a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I know. The, right? air, the air in the room got real thick in that moment. And I didn't necessarily I, I didn't believe basically that saying like you're going to be a big club band, but this motherfucker is going to be playing arenas. <laughs> yeah, it's not the answer that either of us expected. It's definitely not the one he wanted to hear. But like but, I said, there's you decide not to there. sign with him either way. No, yeah. no, no. We, it was it was a choice. It kind of came down. I mean, a it's kind of surprising that you wouldn't have signed a Capital because Capital was a you know like well, signing major bands at that point and majors were starting had, to pick up. You know, Slayer's now on a major at this point. Metallica's on a. You major want to know why? Point. You want to know why we didn't do Capital? Is because we they they were so into rigor mortis that it didn't jive with us. You know, they oh, had rigor the mortis. Band, and the we're band like, rigor mortis. We're yeah. like, well, like if you think they're fucking really good, then I don't understand where we fit into that you know this is what i definitely me and paul were really the driving forces of the band at that point as far as decision making right and uh yeah we were just like yeah it's probably not the right home and metal blade was offering us like half the money and, and dude monty connors and roadrunner was the only one that i really 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 considered and and kind of regretted not taking he did, couldn't offer us the money he could right you know um but yeah, you know knowing what money's playing back then like roadrunner was yeah. just getting going yeah, they I mean they had you know they had a lot of shit that I fucking love. I mean endless amounts of things that I love, but so did combat. In combat, um, yeah, I mean this would have been they like had more 80s. of a track record. This is like this is eighty seven, right? Like because we got record. signed in eighty eight. Oh, did you? Oh, we okay. got signed in eighty eight. We she Debbie waited a while. She wanted us to get seasoned, which was a good plan by her. Mm. So she was she was trying to get us seasoned and ready, and you know like put. She was also trying to put some distance between you, violence and forbidden evil. So there weren't, they weren't like touring at the same time because she's going to have decisions to make. Right. You know, so I saw, I saw all this pretty clearly, but we ended up going with combat and uh, they were, you know, one of the, one of the things they liked was the, the, the dual lead factor. Like the, the, you know, I was getting to be okay, but they considered us, you know, the double shred thing. So like, okay, yeah, that's, that's different than all these, you know, only Exodus really does it like that in, in their minds, you know, they were like, this barrier thrash band. Who's, who's like on that. combat so, at this point? Is Exodus on combat at this point? Was it Exodus is Exodus, Exodus is still on, on combat. They are not on capital not, yet. Not on capital yet. Okay, gotcha. No, they are not. No, they had they had a bunch of really cool shit at that moment. Um, you know, was a, I can't remember all of it off. But they had they had uh, in effect 
their their alternative label right and uh yeah, they had their punk label i can't remember which one relativity relativity was not right, the punk right, one but right. that was like joe satriani so joe satriani was a big factor for us because he was huge at that time right so they had joe, that's the, joe that's the with the alien is like probably yes. massive at this point they, they had joe come to our fucking show and see oh, us shit. uh when we headlined the stone it was fucking sold out and this is before we got signed so this is when things start rolling for us and here we are playing in front of joe satriani and you know click culture who was the guy who fucking signed us but, you know that's a pretty impressive card to pull out and glenn was such a shred dude he's like, we gotta fucking do it man we gotta do it so glenn really they offer you good money wanted, he really was it, was it better money than anybody else combat oh yeah yeah, yeah. Not to say we were rich because we never saw any money. It, just probably just like you guys, Debbie took care of so many odds and ends that she didn't fucking care about how much money was there because she figured she'd just take care of shit. So she right. took whatever money there was and, and put it into the allotted whatevers. You don't even know. Right. Like, you know, we just, it's like this a big oblivion. Like, yeah, like somehow, I no, somehow we got I mean, to our support. Somehow yeah, we got on the road. Right. Somehow right, we did. Right. Debbie did a lot. She facilitated. A great percentage of that which we'll never fucking know how much but she also didn't fucking when it came to our publishing and stuff like that she basically is like you know you'll never really be around that long it was nothing to worry about you know so there's like there's those things too but god bless her because she did have the right best intentions man she just wanted us to not grow up too fast and not become she held us back dude from like and you know i probably told you in passing that after we did forbidden evil um we didn't know this until we, we were already out on Twisted Reform Tour, but Debbie had been contacted by Rick Rubin, and he wanted to fucking buy us out oh, shit. on combat really? and wow. move us over to Forbidden? Def Jam. Forbidden. Forbidden. He loved Forbidden Evil, dude. He wow. loved Forbidden Evil. So he wanted to buy us out straight out. You know, I'll just Crazy. buy him. Yeah. You know, you're going to pay him fucking, you probably pay him like fucking, Seventy-five thousand dollars, and we're, he's all—we're all his, you know. Right, right. But she said, "No, I don't want that to happen. I don't want these guys to get the big heads." But she told us one night in anger when we were arguing about something, he's like, "This is why I didn't give you to Rick Rubin." We go, "What?" And then Paul was fucking livid, dude. Oh my god! You know, remember when Paul came back and said, "Dude, dude," you know, you do all that, "Dude, dude," and he's fucking kicking shit and running around, freaking out. I'm like, he was so upset, dude, and I'm like. Uh, this is pretty upsetting, you know, but I mean, but I kind of understood I'm like, we're okay. Right. I, I, Cause I said right then, I'm like we would have never done twisted into form. Right. He would have wanted forbidden evil part two, which he probably liked the bombastic nature of it all. Right. Right. And what we grown so much from one album to the next, but I can verify this story because when I did later on with man, made God, which is a band with scientists, his label, we were standing there. The, we play a showcase for him and it's fucking going great. And it's, so they flew every piece of gear we had down to LA. We're just sitting in this room playing for him. And I go outside. I'm all, yeah, Rick. Uh, great to meet you. I, I was in that band Forbidden. He's all, oh, I wanted to sign you guys. Your manager just cut me off right at the knees. Oh, shit. I'm like, I'm like yeah, I, I heard that later on. We didn't know at the time. <laughs> it's like, so my relationship with him started like, oh, he's that guy from that metal band way back then. Right. Why is he playing this rock and roll? Which is a whole different story. So. What um, so do you do? You, like, I don't know how much even violence got for a for to record our debut album. Do you know how much you got? I think it was like thirty five thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah, something good. like guys, that. We both used we both used John Cunaberte, right? Huh? Yes, we did. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, John. John's, John's in that interview. Uh, he did the decibel interview. Yeah. 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 He's. He he's there's did, always. He also did Santriani, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. But John used to say this. He just was not interested in recording us at all. He's yeah. not interested. I don't know if he's interested in recording. He told me nightmares about you guys. So I know he had nightmares about us. Uh, yeah. Afraid. And and he used to always say, yeah. It's good enough for combat, I guess. You know, they like, what the fuck? He used to pull out, dude. He's denying this these days, which I think is hilarious. Why why deny this stuff? This is hilarious. He did admit that in the article, I guess. I didn't read it, but people told me. But he used to fucking pull out a joint every day and tap it out of his little holder. He's all time for my break. And he'd fucking just walk out, like not offering no, nothing. Just like he'd just go smoke a joint and come back just so he could medicate, just to deal with us. Because we were hard to deal with. I mean, we were hard. We were infighting. There's a bunch, you know, there's all kinds of weird shit going on in the studio, like any band. But he told me a story about you guys. He said, uh, he said that everybody wanted everything so fucking loud all the time, but he ran out of room on the board. So he said, Perry's like, can you turn my toms up louder? He's like, well, yeah, if you fucking hit harder, but instead I'll just do this. And he took his forearm and just pushed him all the way up to the top. (laughs) He's like, Okay, but yeah, he had no qualms with with telling you when something wasn't jiving with him. But yeah. he only co-produced oh, no. her album. He you co-produced. He was he was pretty like I look back on him. He was I, first of all, I think he did a great job on both records. You know, so like I'll just say he did. flat out both. He did. I think both Forbidden Evil and Eternal Nightmares sound fucking crushing. Like he did a awesome guitars, great. I mean, like it's great thrash metal production. Yes, and, for uh, a guy who no, didn't even like thrash metal, that's for, yeah. For a guy who didn't like thrash metal, he made some but he did do the Dead Kennedys. So we yes. got to remember that's where he cut his teeth with the DKs. Yes. So he, yes. he he would be with yeah, good. He, he got it though. Like I think in a production sense, he got it. You know, like guitars mm-hmm. need to be loud. Like everything needs to be fucking louder than everything else. And um, but he was like, like he was so fucking ruthless. Like we'd be de- like Dean, like Dean. You know, love Dean. You know, he's my fucking one of my closest friends. But still, like Dean was never a great bass player. You know, so like at some point, like if we're getting near the end of the record and like we all go out to fucking, you know, Sinclair takes us out to Mexican restaurant. We're drinking fucking margaritas. I get shit faced on fucking margaritas. I come back. We're like, all right, we're going to listen to the thing. And John comes up to me. He's just like, I need you to record, uh, re-record all of the bass. And I'm all... (laughs) I'm like, what? I'm like, dude. I'm, Captain Midnight. I'm like, I'm totally, I'm fucking, I'm wasted right now. There's no way. He's like, it'll be better than what's on there right now. I'm just like, I'm like, I can't, like, I got to go talk to Dean about this. Like, I can't. He's just like, there's no reason to just here, just pick up the bass and stuff. And I'm like, I got to go talk to Dean. Like, I can't just. True you know, Captain like, Midnight fashion. You, dude, no one's ever supposed to know. He fucking, he comes, <laughs> I go up to Dean and I'm like, hey, you know, John starts like, he's like, he, Rob's going to play, uh, you know, <laughs> these songs. And Dean's like, what? And he's just like, yeah. He's like, yeah. And I'm just like, are you cool with this? He's like, okay. Like, I just get in there and I'm fucking hammered, you know, and I fucking play all the basses. And, you know, I think about it like later on, like I'd sit there and I'd play parts on guitar and then he'd be like, hey, uh, I want you to do this part again. And I was just like, oh, okay. And then I'd play it and he's just like, no, do the, do the other part. And I'm just like, isn't that Phil's part? And he's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, like here, just put, I'm going to press record. Just go, like do that kind of shit. You know, like yeah. and at, well, the time, I didn't, at the time I didn't even realize, like now I realize what was happening. <laughs> like, but at the time I didn't realize what he was doing. I was just like, you know, like what the fuck? Yeah, he was, he was mixing and matching to make it as good as he could. Yeah. Well, there was a little bit of that on forbidden evil too, a, a, a very small amount of it. I think, you know, I played a little bit of both guys and I know that Glenn played a little bit for, for both of us on once on through, on through eyes of glass. Right. That particularly that little part in through eyes of glass, because 
that had he had written like i said he had written that when he fucking years earlier yeah. and it just had a certain execution to it that it was, like, it was great you know i don't have a problem with it like moments are cool matt wasn't really ready to record he talks about it often how we i kind of came in and had to play some bass like yeah. he'll, he'll mention it yeah it happens on your first record more than any other record never did it again yeah never did it again it always uh-huh. uh you know everyone always played their parts after that you're touring what's your first tour on that Sacred Reich. We did we did Sacred Reich through the U.S. and or Europe, Europe first. Then actually, hold oh, okay. on, back up. First tour we did is Sacred Reich in Europe, and okay. that was like two months due to every fucking market. Like we did Germany. Like I didn't even know places that existed in Germany so deep over there. We were way deep up in there, and uh, we in England, UK, this fucking deep. Great tour. Come home and and fire Glenn. Are you guys? Are you guys? Uh, are you? Are you sharing a bus with Sacred Reich? Yeah, shared with the entire time. Got to know Gloria really well through that. Yeah, right. You know? Gloria's the tour manager. Yeah, and Gloria's the manager. Manager. Or, she's sorry, manager. 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 And then she's they, got, they got the. Like, they got like the. Do they have the red-haired drummer or is it? David yeah, Hall? Greg Hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah Greg Hall. Hall. Yeah, fantastic too. So good. He's so yeah. good. So they're playing the same set they play now. Back then, you know, I mean, it was like really they played. Dude, they were playing songs that came off two records later, like that first time. Oh, okay so, but they were great and it was it was it was so fun you know the whole tour was incredible but we come home we we, we realized you guys are fucking raging maniacs raging. like just drinking to the fucking back when i used everybody. to drink yes yeah, we just yeah. being idiots just being complete kids just being idiots are you doing and, drugs? You know, like are you guys drugging on this no there's no like, drugs there's just well weed. There's, there's weed and, and and you know hash and whatnot more hash than anything out there right right we call it the barcelona bologna because it was always like it came through spain and it's like got cockroaches smashed in it too <laughs> like whatever you just smoke whatever you can get but yeah, that was us. But we had a big problem with Glenn in Europe, and we knew we were going to have one, so we started working with Tim a little bit at home before we left. We left it with Tim, very open ended. Even before, right? so just, even that early on, I mean, like this is just like the recording, and then like now you're on your first tour, and you're already having a problem with Glenn. Well, I should go back to the album. I guess I didn't, re- I guess I didn't realize. I, I guess I thought Glenn was in the band longer than that. I'm not sure why I. Well, he was. He had. Uh, what did he come in when you left from the end of '86 until. Uh, halfway through 88 so he was in for like almost almost two full years yeah yeah almost okay not quite right right? so not quite two full years but he was that was a big big part obviously it was our big most known point at that point but what was happening was even when we were in the studio there was this is something that said i believe in the article i know they asked me questions about this but we we showed up one day and glenn had already started tracking an instrumental we're like what are you doing it was a guitar instrumental like what are you doing for what album like, this is for for, for, for on forbidden evil okay he just started he just we just showed up one day and he just like he i don't remember if he told us to come in late i don't remember what happened caught him red-handed caught him red-handed but he thought it was the right thing to do and maybe in another universe where we're trying to just showcase him it would have been but we were a band and paul again dude dude you like the paul bow step dude dude you're like you're fucking kicking shit and like super pissed fucking you know, he's like, we need to replace him. So that's when we started searching, but we didn't, and we found Tim who was recommended to us and, uh, he was phenomenal, like phenomenal next level, cerebral, incredible writer, very dramatic. And was fucking, I was like, wow, we could be really good, but we can't promise him he's in the band, but I'll teach him a bunch of shit. So I literally taught him stuff. And I said, you may or may not be in the band. When we get back home. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, dude. So we left to Europe. And, and Glenn was just being really, he was a prima donna is the only way to put it at that point. 
we were young and he, you know, he knew, he, as Paul would say, he knows how talented he is and he doesn't give a fuck if you like it. And that's where he was <laughs> mentally at that time. And so one night we did, they were calling for a, a encore in Germany and the, the whole crowd, four minute, you know, the dude, dude is like fucking, you know, almost a thousand people. And he goes upstairs and he just sits down, you know, what, what are we going to do? He's all not going, not going, not going to do it. You know, like fucking George Bush, not going to do it. And I was like, what the fuck? And then Paul's just like, looks at me, he's all, that's it. And then, you know, we had a couple other things happen. And finally, Debbie's all, call your friend, call your friend and tell him he's in the band when you get home. She finally gave you okay. We're like, okay. So we got uh, up on the old, and the old dial it up. You know? Debbie's on this tour too, right? Yeah, Debbie's on the tour yeah, too. The tour. So yeah. She, yeah, she was like done with him. She'll fuck him. Oh, you know, wow. Oh, my gosh. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's, it's one hilarious story. So he, so we wake up one morning, we're in Wait, Nuremberg at the mean, castle. Tell, tell this story, and then doesn't somewhere, doesn't Paul like punch a fucking light yes. light pulse and break his hand or screw up? Uh, anyway, yes, I'll, t- I'll tell that. Like, I'll, yeah. I'll tell that story too, but but this is hilarious because we're, we're in Nuremberg and we wake up in Nuremberg and this castles and everything. It's our first time in Europe. Everyone's like really fucking stoked. Debbie's like, I'm going to take everyone around the castle. I'm not going. Why aren't you going? I'm hella hungry. Hella hungry. Well, I'm going to take you through the castle where everyone go right now. He's I'm not going. So he basically put his foot down. I'm hungry. I'm not going until I eat something. He's like, all right, fuck you then. And then everyone gets off the bus and he's just sitting up there with his arm crossed, like this fucking, I'm not gonna go in there. And then she's fucking as soon as as soon as the door closes the bus, she's all, all right, let's go get something to eat. <laughs> <laughs> and we just fucking cruise. Like, so I'm just not gonna deal with that shit. So call your friend, you know. It was like, wow. it, it, yeah, it was it, uh, you know, in Glenn's uh, in Glenn's defense, dude. I mean, he I know he gets mad when I talk about this stuff, but like I said earlier in this, you don't omit history. Like I know what I did. You can point out the asshole things that I did. I'm not going to deny them. Okay. Right, right. But this was like shit that, that fucking, you know, the seeds of fucking demise, you know, you make right. these decisions right. like you, Choices. you can't be that much of a fucking stick in the mud. So that's what ended up happening. So get we, yeah. So we ended up, I'll just end it with, we called Tim. We said, learn the rest of the shit. I come home, dude. We have a show at the Omni less than a week away. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, we're in my garage, fucking at my mom's house, pounding out as many fucking rips as we can. I, I'm literally, I moved back there when I get home because I didn't have a place because I lived with Glenn before that. So I was like, oh, no, yeah. I'm not living there anymore. Awkward. So we worked out, worked out a dual guitar solo for that we never played. We played it for the first time and only time. We did oh, a whole wow. double thing together. All oh, like a, week, like a dude. solo spot. Yeah, we did a whole thing where I wrote half and he wrote half. We harmonized everything. That showed teamwork. That's what I wanted. That's what I had with you. I felt like, you know, I had that back. I had a guy who wanted to work with me as opposed to, you know, just propel himself. And that was ultimately what I was after. So played the show was great. Next tour was Exodus, United States, uh, in between their Headbangers Ball Tour shit. Oh, shit. Fabulous Disaster Tour. Tempest is on the road with them at that point. Wow. And it was incredible. Zetro like, singing. Yeah, Zetro singing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That was really cool. And then we did Sacred Reich with the United States for another two month run, full two months. Yeah. And that was are the you, end of that. Are, and then they're like, go back to the studio. Sharing, are you sharing a bus with Exodus or do you, how are you traveling? No, fuck no. We were on a fucking, they were in their own universe, yeah, yeah, dude. We were in a van. We were in a van with Debbie. Yeah. 
but it was like it was great watching exodus was awesome dude because this is back when everyone was really fucking keyed out oh my god and uh, they would have a five-day cycle the first day they would be flying and running over the jump drum riser and doing all the thing the next it would be like four days it would compress down to like the fifth day they'd just be standing there until they scored again (laughs) (laughs) so you got to see it all like every it was it it went through three three weeks of that cycle so much speed back then they were incredible on that run though even with tim pasta dude it was so fucking good yeah they're insanely good too and they're playing like deranged and fucking all that last act of defiance and all so much kid shit so back to the Paul Bostaff punch in the wall story. People don't really know all this. And I'm not going to say you guys exactly. I think how I recall it is you guys said it was something else, but the true story was that Paul punched a wall or something. He was in a castle. I was, I had strep throat dude, and I was in the doctor's office that day getting fucking antibiotics. Cause okay. yeah, I got the tour aids before that was cool. Right. So fucking, I was like doing my own thing. I come back. Everyone's got long faces. I'm walking up to the hotel and people are standing out front and Russ is like, tour's off. Well, tour's off. Tour's off. What the fuck? He's like, ask him. And then I go to the next guy. No one wanted to tell me exactly what happened. But essentially, fucking Russ said some shit to Paul when they were in a castle and another castle in the UK. And fucking, I won't say what he said. I wasn't there for it. But I basically know it was something that really irked Paul. And he just fucking hauled off and swung at like a, what was a curtain and, you know, a big red fucking drapery curtain oh, that was hanging down. And okay. behind that was a fucking, you know, foot thick fucking, you know, cinder block fucking wall. Oh, geez. <laughs> fucking punches it. Great news, fans. We've got a new Delta 8 sponsor with everything you need to stay high all summer long. So if you're over the age of 21 and living in the majority of states where this is legal, well, then it's time to stock up and enjoy a summer of Delta 8. What's Delta 8? It's something found in weed that can legally be shipped nationwide and get you high. Yo Delta is potent, and if you're living in a state where weed is legal and you're constantly trying to get a hold of your source and he either wants to hang out too much or you can never track him down, just go to YoDelta.com for high-quality, lab-tested Delta 8 gummies and vapes that will get you high. That's YoDelta.com, and if you use promo code GAS, you're going to get 25% off. Once more, use promo code GAS, G-A-S, for 25% off. Let's get back to the show. Paul, I see Paul. I'm like, what the fuck, dude? He's like, don't ask me. So, but we're going to fucking finish the tour. I'm like, well, what the fuck? How are we going to finish the tour? He's like, I'm already thinking about it. So that was a, we did the first show, and Paul had one arm, and he had fucking planned out all his fills with double bass. So this is where the, this is where the legacy and the, in the, the legend of Paul Bostaff that got him in Slayers really starts the one arm drummer. Right. So that's how he really got the gig or at least started them think looking into him. Cause he's got this reputation for being so good. He could play with one hand tied behind his back. Crazy. So yeah. And he did a good job. And, I, and it was funny cause I felt like our tempos got better. As soon as he did that, I was like, well, Band's playing tighter now. You know, yeah. A little less bees in a blender, a little what more you, concentrated. What was the story you got? You guys told some weird story. I remember about. It. I heard. Oh, he heard himself I, loading marshals out. That's what it was. He heard himself like, loading no. marshals. <laughs> yeah, he was loading out cabinets. Yeah, and that's a good story for the time. It was just, it was you know, it was immature. Both of them were being immature. 
Yeah. And I wasn't there to see it, so I only have my hearsay side of it. Right. But uh, yeah, that was a I'm real. To, I'm trying to think what Russ would have said to make Paul want to punch a, a wall. Uh, he called him out for something that he shouldn't have been doing. Okay, gotcha. You know, yeah, kid stuff. But I, but there's certain things I'll be able to say, and I don't want to throw other people under the bus when I wasn't right. there for it. Right. I can I can say what I saw for sure. You know, I just can't say what I didn't see. Right. Right. Of course. Yeah, that's interesting. So you get, so you get, uh, oh my God, I just spaced on your guitar player's name. Uh, Tim Calvert. Tim. Yeah, Tim. And uh, so now that, that your tour cycle wraps up, you do another Sacred Reich tour, and now you're back in the studio. Yeah. For the first time. Really all, fast. All fresh. These are not going to be any leftover songs from. No, right? nothing. Well, like, I, I started. like the new band starting over. Sort of. Cause I did start writing with, with Tim. I, I bounced a couple ideas off him and I started writing uh, one foot in hell and step-by-step step and even showed them and showed them the gland. And then right. we actually did a couple for sound shack before. So Glenn's all, I helped write those. Like, no, you didn't. <laughs> it's like, we, we, we already had that. He had no idea. We were already working with Glenn. And so, yeah. Um, I mean, sorry, we were working with Tim at that time. That's why I, I feel bad for that now. Like, of course, we were being as underhanded as we had to be to get shit done. Because there's a times when you're that, there's a time constraint in those days, dude. You know, we didn't even have cell phones. People, you know, everything had to be done, like, without anyone knowing. In and time, yeah. yeah, in real in time. In time. So, yeah. so, you know, we had fucking everything going on. But those two songs started the cycle. And then when, once we went into my mom's garage again, because I moved back home for a bit. And uh, the forbidden we started, back to your mom's garage. No, my my just me, okay. me and Tim. Okay, gotcha. We, we were just writing for the first time. It was the first time okay. I ever wrote. Shout out to a, your mom and Mel for letting us practice in your garage oh my for God. so many Jeez. years <laughs> because like we were such we were such a. I mean, it must have been horrible because you know Mel doesn't Mel have sons who are in they're in like a great funk band right and like yeah they were they were an incredible funk band soul connection and soul, I mean, just like amazing players and like here we are just like <laughs> playing like, he, he was yeah he was very supportive thrash. rest yeah. rest in peace pal he just passed yeah. away a few months back he was and and rob came to the the service which is really nice but uh yeah so we were back in there writing and uh and it was and, and honestly it was the first time in my life i felt like i had complete control because the songs were fresh, they were new, and we we locked in. You know, like, Tim and I were incredible. I mean, rest in peace, Tim. You know, he died of ALS a few years back, and uh, and we did some incredible stuff. And you know, that album. I mean, as good as Forbidden Evil was received, Twisted and Form was received even better. Yeah, sold more. Um, yeah, I felt like that really that record really took you guys like you guys were bigger than Violence at that point. Like it really took at, you at that guys point. Up. Yeah, it really took you guys up. Yeah, well, I think we finally found our voice. You know, we used Ross to the fullest of his ability up to that point. And uh, and there was this, this epic uh, weaving of riffs and everything was harmonized. Like all the riffs were synchronized, harmonized. The syncopation was fucking next level. Paul did, you know, amazing things because of that. It just, you know, it, it stands on its own. Both records do. I, I feel like one's written by three different guitar players and the other one's written just by the two. But uh, it and and both staff arranging. I think Paul helped arrange a lot of stuff on Twisting the Form more so. Okay. Um, and so there was like a great, uh, you know, I was I don't really even know the word I'm looking for. 
conglomeration, I guess, of, of just uh, peaking. We were all hitting on all cylinders at that point and had tons of confidence after the tour. And uh, so then we did that stuff, and then we toured with Death Angel for two another two-month runs with the, in the United States and Europe with those guys. And then they wanted to put us back in the studio again. Like, they're like, get right back in there, like kiss or something, like like every six months, you know, like, dude, you guys are fucking crazy. So that was, that was essentially that. And that's why we got off combat because we fought to get off the limb. Okay. We didn't, we didn't get dropped. Did we straight up fought tooth and nail? And then uh, they did let us go because we were being difficult and asking for way too much money. One of Max Norman to produce this or like, you guys are fucking, we were, we were getting above our skis one more time. <laughs> Let's just try to do a bunch of shit. Do you get signed to a major after that? Oh, dude. We were about to get signed to RCA for a fucking large amount of money. And this is this is the hilarious story that everyone that was in our genre that was doing well says. Because, and I mean every one of us that was kicking ass, you know, uh, we were about to do this deal and things were fucking blowing up. And then, um, you know, we, and then Paul gets, first of all, he gets the call from Slayer. But we were, we were fighting amongst ourselves because we were just spinning our wheels about direction. Mm-hmm. And I felt like our direction was getting a little watered down. Like we were, I feel like we were getting like very proggy and it was really good, but it was like very, like it was getting a little safe for my liking and uh, like a little over dramatic, maybe a little bit. Those, those demos are incredible, but they're very different than Twisted and Form or anything like that. And uh, then, you know, Paul takes the opportunity to join Slayer. Fine. And then even before that, or right when that happens, fucking Nirvana put out a Nevermind. And Nevermind fucking changed the palette for everybody. So when we came back out with Steve and we did showcase with Steve, uh, things had just changed. And they're like, you know what? We're going to go in a different direction as a label now. And everybody shot the other way. So this deal that we could have taken with Paul, which would have fucking put us you know, who knows where, I don't think we would have survived it. I, I think that all bands except for Sepultura and the death metal bands and Pantera and Slayer all suffered, you know, and we were just one of them. And, uh, yeah, so that was the end of that. I mean, you know, our major label dream, which we were about to fucking hit a home run on would have been fucking cut off at the knees anyway. Yeah, it's just the whole music industry changed. It really, it really did. Just kind of, it feel. It probably wasn't overnight, but it felt like overnight. Like everything just, like the funk thing became a huge craze, and then Nirvana came along, and then it was just like every thrash metal band was trying to either be Metallica Black Album or Primus Faith No More or fucking you know right, and right, and it was which is fine, you know. Which fast forwards to my next, you know. I mean, we did a couple records after that, dude. Those dark days of metal. We still did, a, you know, two of the most creatively fucking advanced records ever. You know, Distortion is incredibly advanced, so much so that it flew right over people's heads in the United States. But in Europe, it did great. We toured with Gorefest. It did fucking great. Awesome. Like, we were fucking killing it. It did another two-month-plus tour back right. when these tours were really long. And uh, we came home all fired up and then wrote uh, Green, which was like a very fucking angry uh caveman record which a lot of these bands that are, exist now point to as their favorite forbidden record like i remember the first time i met uh lamb of god guys they were like dude green mm. like really green of all of them you like fucking really you know like i'd hear that from shadows fall slipknot like all mm. these bands are like green dude yeah. like and then i listen to them i'm like 
Oh, I, I, okay. I get it. You know, we did, we did do a little thing. Uh, hold on one second. No, sorry. We're still finishing up. She's asking me if I'm picking up my son. <laughs> She's texting me. Oh, do you need to go? No, I'm good. Okay. She's fine. She's fine. Let's fast forward to some Rick Rubin stuff. Ah. So like you get, so forbidden ends, dissolves. I don't know what really happens, but you then start man-made God with a, who do you start it with? Is, is it with you and a roost? First of all, a, a forbidden ends and dissolves is in one swift moment. It was, and I got to just say it because it's funny. It was the band we mentioned. They, uh, when we put out green, the label didn't understand it. It was about two or three years ahead of its time. It really was. And they didn't know what the fuck was going on. And so they're like, we're going to put you out on tour with Manowar for a 10 day tour of Europe. And I'm like, guys, I'm out. This is where, this is the segue. I'm moving on in life. Right. I've got, I've been listening to other shit. So when, when I start, uh, man, may God, it was actually of my idea that like, just to, I've been listening to a lot of Radiohead and different stuff, and I didn't really want to sound like that. But I said, "There's adventure out there that I need to find. I need to find a. I'm a classic rock guy. I'm a fucking, you know, I, my pop sensibility is there, and I've been doing just doing thrash metal this whole time. Let me let me see where I can go with this. Wasn't really interested in doing uh, alternative at all, not really. And so, but when we started, it was a uh, me. Well, I first of all, I tried to fucking, quit. I tried to bail on all the guys in Forbidden. I tried. And not to be a dick, but I was like, I've done this. This is cool. I'm going to do something different. And then Matt and uh, Steve Jacobs would not let go. They're like, no, dude, we're going to do whatever you want to do. We're going with you. I'm like, okay. So the other two guys in Forbidden got really pissed at me because they felt like I, we were bailing Tim, on them. Tim at that point? Yeah, yeah Tim just never forgave me. Tim Russ did, but yeah. yeah, Tim never forgave me because he's like, I gave years to you and you guys all bail on me. You know, mm. He wanted to blame that on me. Similar to the Jim Pittman thing. It was all my fault. But I did end the band. So, so we, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd end up getting those guys. And then Mike Sullivan from Level. Right. Who was fucking heroin Mike, as people know him. Oh, my God, yes. He oh, God. I thought I could change him. That's a whole lesson in itself. He was. But then, uh, but then a rumor. Great. A rumor I was starting a band. He was great. He was amazing, especially that first very, level. Charismatic. Demo. Never quite. Yeah, very charismatic. Yeah. yeah, he was. He was. But uh, the, the rumor heard it. I was starting another band and said, can I, you know, let me check it out can i join up i'd love to do whatever you're doing and aru so that was probably a different uh like you know people know aru from the burning red but aru actually came from a death metal background he was in a band called horde of torment which was like a straight up like death thrash metal band when they started yeah, yeah. well uh, when they were pestilence they were full on pestilence, death metal. yes yes and then horde of torment was definitely bay area infused Crash, they, everything forbidden metal. had them playing so many shows with us dude because yeah. i basically i i I heard you your interview with Aru, and I got so much I got to add to that because I met Aru at a house party in Vegas when I went back and visited my dad. Okay. Yeah, we ended up hanging out and fucking befriending each other. And then the whole band, and Marco was there, Marco Barberi. Right. So the whole band That's moved to the Bay Area. Thing. Yeah, there's like you know, under like the pretense that I could get them shows and introduce them around. Right. So basically, that's what I did is I got them shows, introduced them around, and then they ended up doing fine for themselves. So I was already friends with Aru. And, uh, I was like, yeah, you know, but at this point of Rue's life, quite frankly, he was going through a lot. His girlfriend had cancer um, that he was with at the time. He was drinking incredible amounts of alcohol. He just was, the Rue that I got for that band had a few really good ideas and a lot of like, not quite 
the cognizant stuff going on, you know, and I, and I, but it made a great chemistry. It was very odd. It was like, he was just, he just played feedback and a few bar chords. Didn't do a lot of the fucking, I was doing most of the stuff in that version of that. Very experimental, mm, very yeah, heavy, totally, very heavy tuned down to a drop a. So, and I, you know, I've got my first last Paul and it's like, fucking, I was like, is that a little, how low can I take this thing down? I played a lot of stuff on the in E on the uh, A string. I played a lot of stuff like that. So it didn't all seem that low. So when you came down to it, but anyway, I learned how to play guitar a whole new way. I, 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 you know, started reinventing myself. And when he got the machine head gig, you know, I was like, Oh man, we're not going to play this next shows. We're not going to do anything. The guys in the band are like, no, no, you're going to play guitar. Mike's all you're playing all by yourself. And don't look for another guitar player. It's time for you to learn how to do this. And thank God he showed me that I could do that. You know, Mike showed me a lot. Mike, Mike was an artist and a, you know, your typical fucking heroin artist, but he, but he gave me the confidence to fucking get up. And, and I remember one time I, I had this song and I love this fucking riff. It's my fucking greatest riff. He's like, it's all right. I'm like, what the fuck, dude? It's my favorite fucking riff. He's all, there's a million more riffs behind that one waiting to go. And I, from this day, dude, I've taken that. So I don't get a hung up on this one thing doesn't happen because he's right. Yeah. So he showed me that. Right. But we were a very experimental band at that point. And it wasn't until we found our new singer, uh, Pan, that we became a great rock band, like in a, overnight, like all of a sudden we refined everything. Everything became a lot simpler. Yeah. Pan, uh, you know, fucking phenomenal singer. Phenomenal. And, yeah. and lyricist and lyricist. He was, uh, uh, very green though. He didn't, never really did a lot of shows, never anything, just a massive talent and had a voice of gold, which attracted as soon as we did our first demo with Eric Kretz from Southern Pilots produced it. Eric's like, this guy's got it, dude. He's like, he knows from Scott Weiland that he's got it without the heroin. You know, he's like, he's got it. And, uh, yeah, everything just blew up, man. It, it took not even a year after we had him in the band, we were fucking negotiating or talking to all the labels again. It was like, it became insane, dude. It, it, it was the craziest thing. I never thought at that point in my life when I was probably 32, uh, that this shit would start happening. And then everybody wanted us. Um, and we ended up fucking, as soon as Rick Rubin sent us uh, his first scout, I go, I just go to the guys. I go, guys, there's going to be a lot of people we can talk to. But if we have a chance to work, on with Rick Rubin's label and fucking help them become better again because they had Black Crows and other things, you know, dancing, obviously Slayer and everything. But I, if we could bring, it could be a marriage. And I told Rick when I met him, I'm like, hey, dude, nothing for nothing. Your label hasn't really had a fucking success in a while. Maybe together we could do this. And he's all, and he said, he looked at me, he's all, I'm thinking the same thing. I'm all, and I just, this is out in the parking lot with somebody. Like, How fast is he going to get a deal done? He's all, probably in a week or so. So like we made a deal to make a deal done in the parking lot of our day showcase with him. Wow. And it was, I never, after, after he finds out that you're the guitar player from forbidden. Yeah. Which didn't actually turn him off. Cause I figured I, I, I was always afraid because with some people it does turn them off that you, you know, you must be hell of ancient. You were in that thrash band. Right. But those days are over now, but back, you know, the, people don't think like that anymore. That. Now they're like, Oh, you were in a thrash band. Like this is, it's a mark well, of respect. Yeah. But back then, it, it he had no fresh. problem. With it was it. still fresh, so it seemed kind of dated. Yeah, 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 exactly. So he, but he, we did it, and uh, so you get do, how we, long before you go into the studio? 
Well, what happened was we we did our showcase. Uh, then they started drawing up fucking contracts, and then uh, with a week later, we fl- we flew down and uh, moved into a fucking studio to start pre-production. And we were in there doing pre-production for like a month down there, recording on Pro Tools rigs in the room and fucking just like doing all this. It was it was, it was like a, a room that had like gunny like sack or burlap sacks. Uh, all over the walls you might have heard of it it's the same room that rage against machine recorded their first album in. okay so we were surrounded by all this shit just shit this got like shit got real dude we were we were meeting in this house every single day um where bands are like no one fucking ever sees rick i don't i just read an article or geezer brothers i still don't know what he did on our album <laughs> i'm like i know what he did on our album because he was very involved in it because he cared he had a lot invested into it not just financially but he cared yeah, he saw great things for That's the band. Wild. He was That's so wild, you know. Like, yeah, he was really that story a lot, you know. No, you don't. And he would come. To, uh, we'd go to his place, and he'd come to the studio when we were recording. And I, I wouldn't know necessarily he was there. And then I, I'd hear a voice from the back, and he'd be laying on the couch. It's like, like what? Hey, hey, Rick, what's going on? You know. But he was very into Pan and me as a team. He really wasn't. Uh, he's into the whole band, but he he kind of had a problem with the the drummer being a metal guy, not playing straight enough. And that, that had changed everything for Jimmy. That had changed. Once you change the drums, all the bass changes. Right. Right. So there was a whole fucking, they were kind of like zombies in the studio for a bit, trying to figure out where their place is. But the end result after dude, who after fucking being in the studio for about a year recording it and then getting to the, yeah. I can't even, I can't then, even imagine how much money you guys spent <laughs> like a year in the studio. God, that's just fucking well, I'll tell you. crazy. I'll, I'll tell, tell you <laughs> how much money we spent because, because, uh, because yeah, I it, it all. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's the, the, yeah, that bill was showing up for a while. there, just showing me how much was chipped off in cents. Right. But it, it was, uh, by the time we were done, it was like eight hundred and seventy-three thousand dollars in the hole. Holy! And and I could have stayed on the label, but I said I'm going to start over. But that's another story we weren't even going to get into. But we went from the day that we went in to record to the day that we finished vocals was about a year. He moved into another studio. We weren't there every day, but we were living there and living in the Oak Woods. And I was flying back and forth all the time. And uh, then once we got into mixing, there was a whole nother thing. Does he mix it? No. No. That was interesting. Okay. First of all, Brian Joseph Dobbs produced it, along with Rick Rubin as executive producer. But Rick was producing. He hated Dobbs. Dobbs was, was, uh, he was Bob Rock's guy. He's Bob Rock's second, right? I think Fiddleman might have been his first or something, or I'm not sure how it worked. But but he was he was there for the whole Bob. He heard our stuff and fucking recorded another demo with us, one that ended up getting assigned. But uh, Rick hated him because he was Canadian and he was very bland. Like, he's a really cool dude. But he wasn't crazy enough. Rick likes eccentric people. He doesn't do drugs, but he likes eccentric pe- people that are fucking edgy. And, you know, like, uh, he just felt like Dobbs was too mellow. Okay. Uh, Dobbs was, yeah, yeah, put a little more toot on that one. You know, like, he's Rick would be, I fucking hate this guy. So he, so... <laughs> Yeah, he he gave uh, he actually fucking tricked tricked Dobbs into mixing, or Dobbs wanted to mix the song, so he told him what he wanted, which was the exact opposite of what he really wanted. He said, "Take all the mid range out." God, there goes that light again. Take all the mid range out, 
and and you know make it sound scoop and all this i'm like dude he's fucking luring you into a trap i i, I knew it. i told him dude, get to, he's just fucking and sure enough he did he's like oh this sounds horrible he's like exactly what he asked for and then so he fired him and then we got uh sean bev in the mix okay who did all the nine inch nails and fucking uh what else uh marilyn manson a bunch right. of I ended up right okay becoming great friends with him he, he, i love him to this day he saved that record because he brought it back to reality I mean, you guys probably you guys probably just like it was probably too like studioitis you know like you're just in the studio too long like dissecting oh, too everything long, too long. just that's a fucking long time that, to be in the studio i'd go i'd fucking lose my mind that's crazy i, I did lose my mind i was super mad because when we had a meeting at rick's house and, and he had we sang the record one full time and then Rick fucking had a meeting and told us all. He's like, you need to sing it again. I don't like that microphone. I'm like what? So I don't like the mic, mic sound. I'm going to sing it again. He's all and pan. You take as long as you need. I'm like, Oh, why'd he say that? So that's what ended up happening. He took way too long living there, you know, just fucking in that whole world. But in the meantime, we had every fucking management companies hearing these things, these leaking things coming out of our studio. And every fucking management company wanted to, to manage us too. All of them. Yeah. You name them. They were fucking visiting us, knocking on our doors, fucking taking us out to dinners, drinks, all the fucking the you know, everything, dude. And I was just like, this is too weird. Are you still at, all, at this point? Are you still sober? No. Like, no, you're nah, drinking. I was smoking weed and whatever, but, but you were still drinking. everyone else, you know, everyone else, you know, did their thing. Yeah, you were and, drinking. Uh, no. You were drinking? No. You, yeah, you quit drinking after Forbidden somewhere. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. At that point, there was no nothing. So, uh, but uh, it, 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 let's round this story out to this because this is this is such a crazy fucking culmination of all the bullshit that the, the Hollywood thing and you know the industry blowing smoke up your ass and everybody fucking wanting a piece of you. I've I've seen it. I witnessed it firsthand. And uh, we were about to sign a management deal with uh, what's his name, the little leprechaun. Um, that managed Lincoln Park. Uh, you know, fuck. I'm forgetting his name. He was, he was Andy big Gould. time. Man. Andy, Andy Gould. Gould. Yeah. Yeah, Andy Gould. He came and watched us in the studio one day and was fucking sitting in the fucking chair listening to the mixes, spinning around with his little legs fucking over there. I was like, I was like you know, he's after me like he charms. He's fucking killing me. <laughs> and he was way, way, way into it. He's like, it's got to be fucking great. I'm like, okay, fucking intense. So we thought we were going to fucking end up signing with him a, a, a management deal. And then in the meantime, Rick Sales was fucking in the background telling the label, telling Rick Rubin, I know exactly what to do them. I know exactly how to take them. I know exactly what to get. And then we had Doug Goldstein over here who Rick managed Rubin's, Guns N' Roses. Rubin, so Rick Sales is Slayer's manager who's on. Yes. So they have a relationship. So they've got the relationship with Rick Rubin. Yeah. These are three three main, main players yeah, with a bunch yeah. of Andy Gould is fr- very, very close friends with Rick Sale, so he knows who he's right. going after. Yeah. This is this is this is where it gets interesting because and then we have uh you know, like I was saying, Doug Goldstein who manages Guns N' Roses, fucking right. like at the time, you know, um, telling us he's like, Look, dude, I can fucking do this, this, and this for you. Nobody's ever fucking taken a band to higher place than I have, which is true. Right. So we're fucking thinking that we're making our own decision and uh we end up fucking uh, uh, by the way and not only that uh rod smallwood owns sanctuary he's working for sanctuary so rod smallwood and merc mccodley's right can't pronounce the name they all come and visit us and rod we all smallwood, have a meeting iron, together iron maiden's man iron maiden, rod rod smallwood. Smallwood. yes yeah. dude, i'm telling you dude, we, we were supposed to be I mean, you've got all the i mean you've got the biggest names 
I mean, Rick Rubin, you know, Andy, these are like the power players of this time. Right. I mean, like fucking, right. you know, fucking Andy Gould's got Pantera and Lincoln Park. Like huge, huge bands, you know. And we're just trying to maintain, at least I am really Pant- trying Pantera to Pantera at this point isn't, isn't, you know, what they became. This is still probably fledgling Pantera. It was, like yeah. Cowboy, Cowboys era probably, or maybe a little later. Well, this is like reinventing a steel era. Right, oh, really? There, that right? far? Okay, gotcha. Wow. Okay, yeah, so they're, yeah, they're on their the way. The end of it. This is the yeah, end of them. Some, this is 20 years ago, dude. big we're power players 20. in the fucking music industry. Yeah. We got signed in 2001. The album didn't come out until 2003. Wow. So there, there you go. But that's a, that's all part of the story. So this onion has many levels. But I'm just going to, I want to boil it down to this. So we end up having a meeting with them, the Smallwood and, and, and uh, fucking Doug Goldstein. And, and like Doug, we're like, I like Doug. Doug's an interesting guy. These other people seem great and all, but they don't seem like they're necessarily going to get us. This guy from Guns N' Roses, I think he gets us. So we agree. We'll do that. But then I show up at the fucking, what's that bar everyone goes to on Sunset? Oh, Rainbow. Rainbow. With, with a friend of mine and uh, who came from the Bay Area. And he actually was the guy who passed our demo on to, to, uh, to uh, Brian Joseph Dobbs originally. And he was a big ally for the band at the time. And we show up, and there's fucking all the managers we've been talking to on a table outside with the heat lamps and everything. I'm like, oh wow, that's weird. Hey yeah, guys, what's going on? They're all friends. They're all friends. Yeah. They're so, so they all play poker. They all play poker together. Bingo. So get this. So this is where it gets really weird. So I'm kind of putting the pieces together that they're all friends. I'm like, okay, obviously everybody knows everybody. That's really weird. And I sit down. And then Andy Gould, oh, Andy, the day before, Andy Gould had told us he's going to pass, right? But we'd already, we didn't tell him we'd already agreed over here. So his pass meant nothing to us at the time. So he's, oh, I'm really sorry about taking a pass on you guys on the other side of the table. Oh, yeah, no problem. He's like, well, you went to the right place. And he looks over at fucking Rick Sales. I'm like, no, we didn't go with him. And Rick's all, uh-huh, come on. We went with him. And I pointed to Rod Smallwood. <laughs> And they're like, oh, Rod Smallwood. I thought you said you went with Doug. No, I went with my friend, but Doug was there. All the fucking managers were there. We went with Rod and Doug. So, like, you know, and then Rod's just sitting at the end of the table. All, like, I'm like, oh, fuck. We just, and then I come to find out that Wait, fucking. I thought Rick, you said that you liked Doug, though. We did. We went with Doug. Yeah. Doug was well, why with did Rod you say Smallwood. you went with, okay. Rod Smallwood Sanctuary owned Doug's company. They, oh, they, gotcha. absorbed, okay, they gotcha, absorbed gotcha. them. Okay, gotcha. So he was working for Sanctuary in essence at that time. Right, right. Okay. So this is just how crazy it was, dude. Like, so, but I didn't understand in the moment exactly what had happened. And then later on, we found out that fucking, they played us for a, po- a hand of poker, not Rod or Doug, because they weren't at the game, but fucking Andy Gould and fucking Rick Sales. So they, so Rick Sales thought he won us. And then we weren't with him. So he went and fucking sabotaged and usurped fucking everything, every cross, everything we did with fucking Doug, Rick Rubin. He had convinced Rick Rubin to fucking fight against it so he could come manage the band. Wow. And so like all this shit had happened. And so basically we ended up being with Rick Sales and Kristen, well, Derek was our day to day, who now handles who? Mastodon, Gojira, yes. Ghost. The three biggest awesome. fucking bands and Chad, in the fucking world for this yeah. shit, you know. So like, I'm like, wow, how fucking cool. She was great. She was she was amazing. But I mean, we that was what we learned about the business that 
you can only control so much, but there's all these pieces around you ultimately are going to fucking dictate where you end up. Right. And uh, the reason why we broke up and I, I can just end it with this is because that album taking so long to come out had really broken the spirit of our singer who thought that we should have been big right when the album came out. There was a release date and then there was the fucking merger uh, where fucking L.A. Reid comes in to take over for Lior Cohn over at Island. Right. And then they push everything back. And then they, they go to us. They have us come into the fucking New York office and say, can you fucking wait a while longer to put the album out? And we're like, oh, no, we can't. They're like, okay, well, you're still going to have to wait. But how soon you? they wanted to relaunch. They wanted to do all the work all over again. We had Is the record 100, out. Is the record no. out? No. Okay. We toured it. for a year with everybody, dude, oh, before right. the so record came you, out. You tour, you finished the record and then you're just like, we want to get on tour and like just gel. They put the us band. out there for a year where we had to win people over. Yeah. That, who, are you that touring, who are you touring with for this? Like metal? Rid, like, no, like saliva and taproot oh, okay. and oh, fucking wow. okay. you know, like, power man five thousand. Like, like whoever was big. Bands. Kind of like new metal. Yeah, like people, so people were looking at us like we were new metal. And we weren't. And then in the in the meantime, before <laughs> this is the last I gotta end it with this. So once we get together and Rick hears us in our demos and sees us and everything, he fucking calls a meeting with the guys in Rage Against the Machine and tells them, You need to get Chris Cornell to sing for you. And they're all why? Well, check this out. And he played him our fucking demo. Oh, and shit. fucking that was Audio Slave. The beginning of Audio Slave is because he heard Man Made God and he thought, You're different. But it's a similar kind of context with the right, great, right. you know. So, Audio Slave literally got together while we were doing pre-production, had their album done within fucking two, three months, oh, and was shit. out on the road fucking a few months later, and we're still sitting there. So when we come out, people are like, "Wow, you guys kind of sound like Audio Slave." Right. Like, oh, whap whap. Like you guys should have went out with Audio Slave. We would have. Yeah. We definitely would have. Tom Morello's telling people how much he fucking loved our record, dude. Wow. I heard a few things. I mean, uh, he's an innovator. But I heard a few things on that record that I do. It just see like the the ams like, come start with the up notes and coming back down. He had never did it. dude. He'd never done that before. Okay. He was into the record, and I, and that's a huge compliment. I never met the guy to this day. I still have not met him. I just know wow. he was into the record. Yeah. But that's just how close it all came to. So you end up going with Rick. Do you have any Rick Sales stories? Rick Sales managed my band too. For yeah. Me. And I got and I love I do. Rick's a fucking great guy. Man. I ended up loving him too, dude. I ended up I ended up really liking Rick Sales and. But you know, I may. I mean, all I want to say, Rob, Rob, look, we're gonna do this. Craig, Craig. Hey, check it out. We we we're still being fucking fought for by multiple managers while we're on the road because people are saying you guys are being mishandled, you're being mismanaged, you're not doing it right. People are telling us all this shit. So we end up going with the manager. That's so like that's such the fucking music business line of bullshit too. Like, right? Isn't it? If you came with our company, we'd fucking do you right. They all say that fucking yeah, shit. Everybody. But uh, but it all came down to being on the road and fucking the band finally were agreeing that Rick wasn't the right guy because I don't think he. It wasn't all his fault, you know. There's so many things going against us, including our singer just not quite understanding how this business works. Which I I want to just say I blame myself for that partially because. I didn't step in early enough and put my foot down and say, no, that's not how it works. I He thought you guys were just going to be huge like the second. Right year. off the onset. Like, yeah. you're like, you don't even have to work for it. Everyone's going to love us as soon as we walk out. You know, dude, you got to fucking win them at the shows. The old school way. Win them at the shows that they want to hear you. And 
when they hear your song on the radio, they'll like you. Yeah, because we're getting tons of radio play. It's a I, safe I, passage with I a fucking huge like, radio song. In my opinion, like he was a super talented singer, like great look, you know, like good looking dude, you know, like fit, and he just there was just something about him though that was just kind of like like I found myself watching you more than I was watching the singer, you know, like that's that's all that's the only thing that I can even say. Like I just there was nothing captivating about him. Like when I watched you guys, I just kind of gravitated towards, and not because you're my friend, but just because like you were the more interesting guy to watch on stage than he was, you know, which is not good. <laughs> well, it must have been a very odd experience to fucking even watch the band with him and me at that time because we weren't really talking at that moment, you know. Like we, you know, I, is it? What well, he was, he had all the tools in the world. He just didn't know how to un- unlock them. He had everything. He had it all. And once in a while, he'd do it live. He, once in a while, he would yeah. blow people's minds and do all the right things, say all the right things, right have the crowd eating out of his hand, and he'd say, ah, I felt cheesy doing that. Well, but that's rock and roll, bro. Yeah, That's rock and roll. Right. And we got back together later on and stuff. But but it, one, one Rick, Rick, Rick Sales story I'll say is the last day that we talked about anything with the band, he was so fucking exasperated and frustrated. Because we kept turning down movie stuff, TV stuff, video game stuff, because Pam didn't want to sell out, he didn't want to be a sellout, all this stuff. So we were turning down money hand over fist. And fucking, we were all sitting on our RV, like having a conversation on the, on a speakerphone. You guys are on tour. Yeah, we're on tour. And, he, and he's like, you know, Craig. He like said, like, yeah, Craig. You know, he's like, dude, he was crying. Who's saying this? He, Rick or Rick? Rick Sales. He was Rick, he was Rick, Rick Sales. Okay, Rick, Rick Sales. Sales. Rick Sales, there you go, Craig. So maybe you should manage the band. And I just, I was like, oh my god, like I, I realized right then, I fucked up. You know, like I let this happen. It's a, I, I look back at many, many forks in the road in my career, and many of them I could blame other people for, but that one, I just like, I should have taken over faster, not let the fucking green rookie syndrome not just with him but the other guys too they never had toured to the extent i had they never done anything to the extent i'd done i didn't know it all but i knew enough to fucking see a fucking freight train coming and i just didn't get in i didn't get involved fast enough and uh, i could i might have been able to save the band which would have led me to nowhere that i'm at today we probably would have had about seven eight records out by now and fucking might have been a i might have been living on a house on the hill myself i don't know right the record comes out though eventually do you are you not touring behind the record once it comes out or is the band break no. up was the record we, <laughs> what we, happens? We, like, how does this we, we, end? we literally fucking we might have toured a little bit under the under the record very little and, and then we come home and fucking it's just like you know pan's broke he's got no money you know he spent everything he's got i need more right. money That's we got a big fat check from dude the the Island went and snuck a, or, and the, and the management snuck a fucking song into a video game, and fucking sent us a fat check and said, see what you can have. And then I said, this was the breaking point. And then I, I said, all right, everybody, there it is. Take part of that money and keep it and take the other part. We'll put it in the bank and we're going to keep it for studio rent and everything else and we'll keep the machine going. So I'm not doing it. What do you mean? I, I can't afford to do it. You guys take your money and put it in that. I'm like, no, we're all in it together, dude. He's like, nope, I'm not doing it. And I just told the other guys, well, that's it. I, maybe I shouldn't have done that, but I'm like, that's it. He's a prima donna. I can't fucking fix it. Wow. I'm done. And that and was I just so, fucking, gosh, like all that struggle. And then the record comes out, like you're basically breaking up as the record comes out. 
Yeah, I thought. Well, I thought also we could just get another singer, and that's where Tim Narducci came in because he was with Systematic. He's on Lars's label, right? Right. So Tim wanted to sing for Man Made God. That was his whole his whole design was he loved our band, loved our band. He wished he was doing rock and roll like we were okay. instead of what he was doing, and he wanted to fucking do it. But I remember playing that demo or playing the first demo that we made for Rick Rubin. He's like, you know what? Just doesn't just doesn't do it for me like fucking Pan's does. Is well, when you and Pan get back together, let me know. We'll put you right under like that's I looked at that eight hundred seventy-five thousand. Yeah, oh, that eight hundred seventy-five thousand dollar number looming over. And I'm like, that'll never happen. Are you? Are you, ever, are you ever in touch with Rick Rubin still? It was for a while. I was yeah. talking to his assistants and through his assistants, and they would, right. you know, he was he was interested. And then I just I mean, said just I'm like, not, not even like not even like as, as business, just like friendly. I mean, you guys had li- lived that the fucking lot of life to live, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, like, we were the only two that really really ended up getting along. I think they had I think they had Pan do a demo too, and they realized that he wasn't as good without what he had behind him. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it was the combination that made us great. And uh, it, once that was separated, it was like the magic of the thrill was gone. You know, yeah. it's a once in a lifetime fucking wow. kind of thing, dude. What a yeah, world. you what didn't know a lot of that. I know you no. didn't. It's so fucking it was, interesting. I there's more. Dude, there's so much more. It's not worth getting all into, but at the end of the day, what do you learn? You learn that, you know, it's very, like anything really successful in this business is, is very fleeting. And uh, and so my parameters have changed, you know? I don't try to chase that down. I didn't try to chase that down afterwards. In fact, I didn't even want to get signed for years afterwards. I was so burned out. I was like, well, we're good just sitting back fucking being small time honing it in, you know? And then after a while I was like, this is getting ridiculous. I want to get signed again. <laughs> it's like there's a couple of years of that. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I, I should be fucking putting out records. Right. Right. I, I tell you what though, it's such a fucking, I mean, what it's a crazy story. <laughs> like it is just a fucking mind. And I've said, we haven't even gotten into spiral arms and I got to wrap it up because we've been yeah. going for three hours and 20 minutes here. And I wow. to go, but you know, like there's a whole chapter with you and Chris Contos and Spiral Arms that we could get to on another day, but like it's such a fascinating story. You know, so many things, and you know, like I think that you know when people, you know, people don't realize like uh, so many times when you're in the music business, like that little moment that you have in a band, it 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 really is real. It's very short. You know, it's a very short time. Like you know, especially like you know, Forbidden blowing up. It's like it's two years. Yeah. Like it's two years of like, holy shit, this is fucking crazy. And then, you know, the Valley comes and then, you know, you have all these ups and downs and, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, I think, I think you got to be given credit for the fact that, you know, despite, you know, I'm sure some soul crushing disappointments and, you know, things you've had these crazy, crazy highs and you've had these crazy lows and these crazy frustrating times. And, and here you are all these years still making music. You know, you're still putting out things. You're getting ready to drop your new Boneless Ones record, and you're still, you know, you got Dress the Dead, and you still got a passion for it that, you know, I think, you know, that's why people stay stay in this. You know, like, the money, like, no. Like, every, you know, yeah. that, that, that Led Zeppelin mythology that everybody still believes in is just the biggest fucking crock of shit. You know, like, you stick in it because of a love. You know, it's like Michael Jordan said, you know, like, you don't got to love the NBA. You just got to love basketball. Right. That's, that's well, that's it. That's no. why you, that's why you stay. Perfect. You know, perfect. Yeah. I, 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 for me personally, and you know, I mean, we, we had our, 
you and I, well, we almost, you almost did something, you know, and fucking we had our thing. And by the end of the day for me, like after all I've been through, man, I just want to write what comes right from my gut, you know, and, and my heart. And with that doesn't take me to the fucking promised land. That's okay. Cause to me, for the promised land to me is like being fulfilled, you know, with my voice, my musical voice. And I've learned to be, accept that and not fucking try to fight that. And having a great woman by my side has been a huge part of this. There is no way that if I didn't have Alice and, and you know, having Alice and Dominic, my son, he's kept me like, okay with being at home. Okay with not chasing every, everything that I could do. Dude, I've turned down a few fucking offers a few different times that people are like, how did you do? Why did you do that? We didn't even talk about death, like and all that stuff. I, I could have been in death. Oh, right. Fucking right. legacy, man. Yeah, you tore yeah. death. Right. Yeah, we, I mean, I've, I've done a lot. Oh, like when about you that. and I yeah. weren't connected, when you and I did connect, you know, and I was admiring and I got a descendants as I was like looking at your career going, this is fucking awesome. Because at no point, at no point, even when I was mad at you, I was never mad at you. I, I was like, I, you're still my friend, Rob. You're still my, the kid that I knew, I still, when I see your eyes, I'm looking in your eyes. You're still the kid I knew, even though we're men with families. And you know, it's, it's, uh, I was proud of you. I was really, really stoked. So, it, and I think that's the other thing that makes me have longevity is I never got jaded. I never got bitter. And I don't fucking age like people that get mad at the world and fucking hate everything because it didn't work out for them. Right. And how many of our friends fucking fell into that trap? Right. You know, I, I won't do it. Right. I keep, I, I do it for the love of music. Right on. Well, dude, thank you very much for being on the show. It was killer. It was killer. Thanks for having me, dude. It's been a long time coming. There needed to be more story to make it happen, I think. Right. And the boneless right. ones and, and Dress the Dead being busy this whole next year, actually, I'm looking forward to. Totally. So, you know, I, finally something's going on. Fucking COVID's not over, but it's it's dormant. and We can pretend yeah. it's all going to fucking be okay. Boneless ones, back to the grind, <laughs> dropping uh, May 13th. Friday the 13th. You can pre-order that shit now. You got vinyl, CDs, everything. Ladies and gentlemen, right there, the mighty, mighty Craig Cicero, Forbidden, Dress the Dead, Boneless Ones. No fucking regrets. No fucking regrets. With Rob Flynn.